Hello, everybody. Episode 73, Good Times, Bad Times podcast. Quite possibly my favorite episode to date. I had Tony Singer on, and um, these are the type of conversations that I dreamt of having when I started this podcast, the kind of conversations where information can be disseminated and uh, we can influence people positively, because Tony told me about his years uh, from 17 to 20 years old in the Insight program, which claims to be a rehabilitation center. That's how it's sold to parents and things like that, when really... Uh, it seems to me more like a Ponzi scheme cult because, um, well, you'll hear all about it in the podcast. Basically, a week or so ago, Tony made a post um, explaining the various ways that Insight brainwashed him and all of the negative repercussions that he suffered uh, because of that. So I reached out to him and asked if this was something that you know he, he felt like he should share or would be willing to share. Uh, and he was, and I'm extremely grateful to him for that. Um, he was very open, very honest. We definitely got into some um, some areas that I know were uncomfortable to talk about, but I'm glad that we did. I think that it was an important conversation. I hope that the right people hear it. For that reason, I'm going to skip the ad on this episode and uh, just jump right into it. So please, uh, it's a long episode, but I encourage you, please listen to all of it. Um, and if you are someone who's been through similar things, uh, please reach out to Tony with your experiences. He's um, he's taking he's doing everything that he can to try to make sure no one has to go through the things that he and his brother went through. So again, I know it's a long episode, uh, but we both really appreciate if you uh, if you give the whole thing a listen, and um, if you feel so inclined, you know, take some sort of action, whether it's reporting the Insight Program to the Better Business Bureau, whether it's leaving a review on. Yelp or Google or Facebook, or whether it's writing to Tony with your own experiences, um, this is something that is a real travesty, that not only that it goes on, but that it seems to be revered and so trusted by people. I think it's truly disgusting. And, uh, well, I I can't say anything here that you won't uh, have magnified ten times over by hearing Tony say it in the podcast. So, Again, I know it's a long episode. Hope you stick with it, and I hope you do enjoy it. Thank you, guys. Episode 73, Tony Singer. Episode 73, sitting here with Tony Singer. Uh, I guess you can find him on Facebook is the best way. Yeah, it's probably wants, uh, wants to reach out to Tony. Um, this came about because about a week or so ago, I saw that you posted something about uh, the Insight program. And I got a ton of comments. Uh, I think new comments are being added every day. It seems to be a kind of divisive subject. Um, but from the gist of what I got from the comments section, it reminded me a lot of what I've heard about sort of cult-like behavior. Um, did you watch The Path on Netflix? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, actually, it was on Hulu. It seemed kind of similar to that, but but I really don't know. That's why I wanted to have you on talk to talk to you about it. And what we were just discussing before we started recording is that all these are just Tony's opinions. It's not like he's you know an advocate or a representative for any sort of broad group of people or anything. He just um, is here to shed some light for me and anyone who might listen 
to uh, uh, about this inside program, what's going on, because it seems to me like it's uh, pretty messed up. And so um, I'm sure that you have a few steps that people can take to, to, to try to enact some change and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But um, so, I mean, we'll just let you start from the beginning and, uh, and everyone can make up their minds. From what I gather, and we just sort of talked about it a little bit, it was sold to you as a sort of rehab facility, but you said it's really hard to peg down. Like, what if you could describe Insight? What would you say it is? It's uh, it's pretty much it's it's built as a rehab for sure. People mm -hmm. they definitely say it's for children with substance abuse problems. That's definitely what they're going for. Um, a lot of times, it's kind of there's like a pretty heavy implication that it'll, it's kind of a cure all, mm -hmm. which is pretty weird. Um, but it's definitely, people that go in there are, it's under the assumption that they have some kind of drug issue. Um, and so to me, it seemed like, from the comments and everything, it seemed to me like a lot of people had the feeling that Insight was probably like, okay, well actually, before we even get into that, what were the events that led up to you and your family being involved? Did, did Insight reach out to you? Um, they did not. Uh, I think mostly Insight is kind of spread through word of mouth, I think, because if it's too public or it gets too big, I don't know, they don't want that to happen. Yeah. Um, but, so, my brother had a friend that was in the program, and it, it helped her a lot. Help is in quotation yeah. marks, I think. Yeah. Um, so, that, it got recommended to my parents through her, and my brother was in the program about a year before me. So, that was kind of my first exposure to it. Okay. I didn't know if it was one of those things, like, where... You get a speeding ticket, and then a week later, you have eight different lawyers' offices, you know, sending you. Nah, it was not. Nah. So, so the events leading up to it, you said that your brother was in it before you, and we'll get around to that a little bit because I understand there's pretty heavy stuff there as well. Right. Um, what was it that got you involved in Insight? Um, pretty much, I, I had like been smoking weed and stuff, and I. Travesty. <laughs> I know. Not how old were like sixteen? Yeah, I was like sixteen. Yeah. I think I smoked weed one time, and and like along with that, like I was like depressed, you know, mm -hmm. like like hormonal, like yeah. having a hard time. Angsty. Yeah, angsty, like just being a teenager, like having a rough go of it. Yeah. Um, so my brother was in the program a year before me, and then uh, my parents kind of like after you join the program, your parents are kind of told to have this hands off approach mm. to parenting. Is it? Inpatient or, or it's outpatient. Okay. You go uh, five days a week for uh, about four hours, and oh, then and it's like it's, it's supposed to be eight to twelve week treatment program, mm -hmm. but um, you're encouraged to hang out with group people like all the time. Yeah, yeah. it's not definitely not just that. Is there is it is there any sort of religious aspect to it? That that part gets really weird. Um, so, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, 12 Steps or, like, the AA program. Yeah, yeah, they encourage you to have, like, a higher power. Yeah, they do. And the part that gets warped, and it's called, in the Insight program, the people in the program are called, it's called The Group. Or, mm. And, um, That's not weird at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, when you, when you join the group, you, like, all these kids, you know, they don't, like, know anything about God. They have to find this, like, higher power thing. Mm. And a lot of times what is suggested as your higher power is the love of the group. Hmm. Okay. So, so what's suggested as your God is this group. So they're sort of creating their own religion? Essentially. They're, they're, but basically they're not advocating Christianity or anything like oh, that. Oh, no. Nothing like okay, that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Cult checklist one. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's pretty strange. Huh. I don't know. And it, yeah, we'll probably get more into that later. How, how many people are in a given meeting? 
Uh, it, it, would, uh, fluctu- it would fluctuate a lot. Um, I think maybe the peak in the group I was in was around 60 people. Um, it's weird because people will come in and like maybe some of them will drop out every now and then. Usually the people that drop out drop pretty quickly mm-hmm. and the people that stay will stay for like three years, mm-hmm. two to three years. Wow. And it's a little bit different because it has this system like of graduating, um, which means that you've been there long enough and you're supposed to move into AA. Um, oh. Yeah. Which you wouldn't think of as, as like typical for like cultish behavior, but you also have to think like they're not getting money from you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's true. Is there, so there's like an age cap or something like that? There, there's an age cap. It's a, it's, it's a rehab for young people, but it's 13 to 25, mm. which okay. is a pretty big spread and yeah. is also really weird. So you'd have like 20 something year old dudes hanging out with like, I, like there was this like 14 year old chick and yeah. they would be like, you know, talking to each other about this like really heavy stuff. Uh-huh. I mean, like, ostensibly, you know, I don't know any of these people, but you could have 22, 23 year old heroin crack users interacting with 14 year old girls who got caught with a joint or exactly, something Exactly, like exactly. And that's, that's one of the things that I've been reading through other people's feeds about um, this situation. Apparently that happens in a lot of rehabs where somebody, or this is, I don't know, where you go into a rehab like smoking a joint or whatever and then you come out being like a serious drug user. Yeah, and I mean the same sort of thing is said about like prisons and even like probation sort of things. I was on probation for a while for weed stuff Yeah, and I had to go to these like classes where everyone else was there for crack or heroin and they would literally laugh at me when I told them that I yeah. got caught with a bowl. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so I could see how it would be very easy to... to you know, become cynical at those things and then just give in to those different vices. Yeah, it's it's crazy because it kind of like a it like normalizes. Yeah. Like yeah. Like oh, other people do this. This isn't weird. Yeah. And also because you're in a rehab, you kind of like definitely at this place, you kind of have a beat into your brain that you have a problem mm-hmm. and that you'll never be normal. Yeah, that's what I was gathering a lot from the comments. It seemed like it was really. Almost like they broke you down to the point where, like, the, it was almost like the group was all that you had left for your self esteem. Yeah. That. That is a really great way of saying that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's if you, horrific. I don't know. I've because of this experience that I've had, I've like been forced to. I've, I've read a little bit about cults and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that does get mentioned is like there's kind of a point where where you're like interacting with the cult at first, and you're like, okay, this is definitely weird. And then after you spend enough time with them, you reach a point where you just snap. Yeah. And yeah. I definitely remember that point for me, and I'm pretty sure other people are. Like, they can think of the point when it was like, okay, like, I'm in. Like, Whoa. I give up. So you remember, like, the exact circumstances and everything of, the, of that time? What was it? Like, so for the first 30 days I was there, I was like, fuck this, I don't need to be here. Yeah. I was just, like, smoking weed. And I didn't want to interact with these people outside of the four hours yeah. of outpatient, which is, like, it was more than recommended that you hang out outside of it. It was, like... You kind of have to. Like, they were threatening to kick me out of the treatment center. Uh, if I had to guess, they probably, like, sort of shame you if you don't. Like, they'll sort of shun you and stuff like that. Because, I mean, it seems like all these things, like... I mean, I was I was part of, like, a really healthy, active youth group. But mm-hmm. to a much smaller extent, they did those sort of things. Like, they yeah. would kind of make you feel shitty if you were mm-hmm. hanging out with, you know, your secular friends yeah. and stuff like that. No, that totally makes sense. I've talked to some other people that have had some similar experiences or seen similar things that happened in church. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would say that it is comparable, except it's a lot more intense because yeah. I, another thing that will happen in treatment centers a lot of times is they'll say, like, maybe don't hang out with your old friends um, or the people that you used to know. And But in insight, it's more like, like no, don't talk to them. 
So you don't talk to them, and you gain this new like group identity, and you become somebody in this group. Meanwhile, you're getting further and further away from your old friends, mm-hmm. and they're kind of getting more and more demonized, you know, yeah, like as yeah. you go on to it. And you're getting closer and closer to these other people. So like the idea of getting abandoned by the group is crushing. Oh, yeah. Like that is like like you said, it's the only thing you have. Like these are the only friends you have at this point, Whoa. and you kind of develop this whole group identity. It's a trap. It's a trap. And trying to leave and like build yourself back up after that is immensely difficult. I believe it. I, so, how long were you in the program? I was in the program for about three years. Ooh, man. And so that, that whole time was five days a week, four hours a day? So, the treatment part is uh, eight to 12 weeks of four days a week, or five days a week at four hours a day. They have two meetings a week, um, which lasts about like two hours each, and it was on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they had this thing afterwards called coffee, um, which is you basically go back to this place called the shop. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, I guess because you're working on yourself, or you're uh-huh. fixing yourself. That was also what the, um, where the outpatient part was held. Okay. So you have these, you have the, the like, five days a week, you got the two meetings, and then you have these two functions on the weekends, which is like, you do like fun activities or whatever, yeah. on a Friday and Saturday nights. Um, yeah, so you're pretty much constantly, like, you have stuff going on, mm-hmm. like, every other day, and after you get out of the, um, five, five day a week, the, the eight to twelve week treatment thing, you have outpatient, which is once every other week, um, for about, like, twelve weeks or so. Okay. And then, and then beyond that, you're pretty much just encouraged to be around group people all the time. So, I mean, at that point, it's just that it had become your group of friends, so whenever you weren't busy with other stuff, that's just where you'd find yourself? That's right, yeah, you'd be actually in the, the shop. Yeah. Okay. And so when you were saying like you do fun activities, would you like go like bowling into the movies or like just chanting about how bad drugs are? <laughs> <laughs> okay, there was a chant. I totally forgot about that. Oh shit. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Should I cult checklist too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but they're they're like they're like going to the movies or bowling and stuff. And yeah. They would have special things that they would do sometimes, or they'd have like uh, relay races or you know just okay. whatever dumb thing that they could come up yeah. with. Yeah. Um, and there were there were like also some special events that they did. Um, there was this thing called a camp out, which was like really weird. Um, so basically, you you would go. It was like a weekend trip. Mm-hmm. You would go into the like into a camp with the whole group. It would be like fifty people there, um, and there's. And you just spend the whole weekend with them, but you would do, you wouldn't sleep. You weren't Ooh. supposed to sleep. Well, I mean, like, like, of course you could, they were like, they weren't going to make you stay up, but yeah. it was like strongly suggested that you hang out as much as possible. Yeah. And like, so everybody stays awake the entire time for like the whole weekend or uh-huh. at least one night. They do. And this is a, like a, a group thing. It's called wedging. Wedging is not sleeping. So you would be, you would be wedged after you hit 24 hours of not sleeping. And so the weird part that I've been reading about with the cult stuff is one of the things they'll do is um, like a weird mind control tactic is like you're obviously in kind of like a weakened state. Definitely, yeah. That's what I was about to say is staying up for that long, like all of your faculties are compromised. Yeah, and you're totally highly suggestible. You're definitely more open. And it's weird because it's almost like a high sort of. Yeah, yeah. You know? I know. I, I think they've said that like, for every hour after 24 hours, it's like a glass of wine, something really? like that. Yeah, I remember wow. seeing a statistic like that one time. Yeah, so that was definitely something that was strongly encouraged at Camp Out. And Camp Out was kind of made to be like this thing of like the ultimate bonding experience. Mm-hmm. Or like, 
And it's probably right. one of those things where, like, I imagine, and I'm just gathering all this from, like, movies I've seen and everything, where the counselors are like, oh, you guys ready for camp out? Oh, oh yeah. So it's going to be so much fun. They were so excited. Everybody was so excited about yeah. it. Yeah. Remembers everybody. It was nuts. Mm. Yeah. And, like, the shitty thing is that I don't, I didn't realize how fucked it up it was when it yeah. was happening. Yeah. You know? I didn't realize that I was, like, getting played. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was getting... Well, I mean, that, that shows that their tactics work, which is oh, the man. scarier part. Yeah. So how, from what ages were you, were you involved? Uh, I got in there, like, right when I was turning 17, so it was around 17 to 20. Okay. That's um, how long I was in the program. And where is, like, do they have multiple centers? Yeah, there's a few of them. Uh, and they, they go by different names, too, and they're owned by different people. Damn, I think man. for, like, some legal reasons. Yeah, probably know, like, legal and then maybe financial. Yeah, Cause yeah. Because I, I was telling you before we started recording, I was doing just a little bit of tangential research, and, like, every single one of their websites links to a different website. Like, mm-hmm. their Yelp page links to a totally different program. Their Google page links to a different program. Okay. That's yeah. weird, man. It's like they're, it's like they're trying to um, disseminate the blame, or, mm-hmm. or just throw people off their track. Yeah, I definitely think um, I think it's so that this is just my what I'm guessing. It's so like if one place goes down or if one place gets a bunch of bad press, the yep. others don't all collapse. Yeah, but they're definitely all related. They're called a, there's insight pathways and crossroads. Okay, I think I think there might be another some more in there. Um, but yeah, they're all like weirdly separated but the same. Hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah, and I mean, like you said, it makes perfect sense that they would have, you know, the same guidebooks and everything like that just operate under yeah. a different, like, tax ID. Dude, that is even, that's even weirder. Uh, there's, so there's, uh, to be a counselor in the program, counselors are all ex-group ex members. Okay. Um, but you have to go to, I don't know, did you, if you got a chance to watch that documentary? Um, no, I, I saw just yesterday when I was uh, going through, because that was like your first follow-up, right? Yeah. And what's it called? It's called The Group, a documentary. Okay. Um, so it's all about this program? It's all about this program. Oh, okay. No, no, I didn't realize that. Otherwise, I would have watched it. Yeah. yeah, okay. So this is basically a guy that was in it maybe 10 years ago, and he was a counselor, and he talks about his experience. But there's the guy who started it, his name is Bob Meehan, and he basically has this like institution that's kind of like a college that you go to, except it's completely bullshit and mm-hmm. he made it up and yeah. it costs like $8,000. So after they get your initial $8,000 for being in rehab, then if you are good enough, <laughs> like mm-hmm. if you like, if you have like, if like, this is what you're passionate about, which like, you know, everybody's passionate about it kind of because they've all yeah. had their fucking brains warped. Exactly, yeah. Um, then you get to go pay another $8,000 <laughs> to get this fake degree from this fake institution oh. that this... Just, just so you can go and work for this guy? Still? Yeah, and, like, uh, the, the whole counseling... That's a Ponzi scheme, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> the whole counseling thing, like, I, I'm i excited to see... Because that Facebook post has got a lot of attention. Yeah. I've kind of been able to talk to some other people. That part seems, like, the most intense. Really? The whole counseling thing, because, like, I don't know, you have people giving advice to, like, I don't know, like, sexual advice to minors or telling them that their sexuality isn't yeah. okay or, like... Just, like, children talking to children about shit that they have no right to talk about. Yeah. And, and so, were there anyone, was there anyone there for any sort of, like, sexual, quote-unquote, addiction? It really, like I said, it was kind of, like, a cure-all for mm-hmm. everything. So, there definitely were people that, like, any any kind of sex you had before the group, you were kind of shamed for. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you know it's just like you're a fucking teenager like you're exploring those kind of things like how who the fuck is anyone to like shame you for that or like tell you that you're wrong well it seems like this whole thing was born out of like just knowing that you could prey upon parents fears definitely because like especially generations before ours who were you know born in the 50s and everything like that and, and expected this wholesome life for their kids the first time they see them with a joint or with a nude picture or something like that they're, they're gonna freak out and go right to something like this yeah that i and i think i don't know i it's hard for me to think about this from my parents perspective because i still have a lot of resentment with them for my involvement in this yeah. place um but you know i can't i can't imagine what it would be like if I'm, I'm sure you see your kid doing something wrong and you're fired up about it especially like that first like little bit when that goes on like if you catch a kid with a joint you're like shit you gotta go to rehab like yeah. this needs to get uh, fixed like you're my baby and yeah like, when you go to that rehab and they tell you like oh this could be bad like oh your kid like might end up dead or he might end up in a mental institution or he might end up like i don't I, they don't they don't say stuff like that but they're like you need to treat this drug problem like now mm-hmm. they may they make it like they probably make it sound even more grave than if it's just like he might get a ticket one day or he yeah. might not get a job because of this. They they do ramp up the severity of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the most like it seems to me like that's the worst part about it is just the the damage to people's psyche and your self esteem because yeah. like uh, just like with my legal problems that affected like my the way that I think about myself just like knowing that I have something on my record for a plant so like there's this little bit of shame now tied to tied to marijuana with me which like i don't know if i'll ever be able to get out obviously it doesn't really stop me from like enjoying it or anything like that but so i imagine if you were there you know in this place for three years that like totally demonized any sort of action like that it's hard to get away from that sort of shame and and everything like that that they try to force down your throat definitely um one of the like i guess tenets of being there what is it the first step is like that you admit that you I don't know, lost control. Have a problem or something like something that? Something like that. But, um, gosh, shit, I should have got the steps out. Um, do they have their own? They do. They did okay. alter the AA steps slightly to make it more huh. insular. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they have this thing called sticking with winners, which means other people in the group, mm-hmm. pretty much. They replaced yeah. the second step with that. Um, but, yeah, so you admit you have a problem, and, like, what comes with comes up with admitting that you have a problem is that you can't trust your own thinking. That's what gets said constantly. You can't trust your own thinking. You're fucked up. You're a dope dope fiend. And you have to, like, talk to people before you make any kind of decisions. Like, your thoughts and feelings aren't something that you can trust. Whoa. That was the craziest part, for sure. Yeah. How, how, how do they expect people... Well, they don't. That's the thing, is that they, they want to create people who have to latch on to them. Yeah. Because that's any healthy normal human being could never live with that assumption that's i mean it's impossible to Mm -hmm. that is horrifying yeah it's and so like what comes along with that is like you have to there's these things called talks in the group so you go and you go and you have a talk with somebody and having a talk with somebody is like telling them like all of the things that happened to you like that day like all of the shitty thoughts you've had or Mm -hmm. all of like the like i don't know just even like I don't know, even weird shit, like, I would talk about, like, I don't know, this is, this might have been just me, I don't know, 
We'll skip it. Just like <laughs> things that were entirely inappropriate that nobody should be hearing. Yeah. You know, it's just like, why am I telling you like how many times I thought about girls today? And, and, why and you I... found yourself like being totally honest because you're so wrapped oh, up in Oh, completely. The... Uh, 100%. Like that's the whole thing. If you're not 100% honest, apparently it doesn't work. Or you're, yeah. you're fucked, you know, I'm if you're sure. not 100% honest. And so you would be telling this to your counselors who are... You would be telling this to other group members, actually. Oh, okay. So you would, okay. you'd, and you would also be telling it to counselors, but I don't know. That's You'd be telling it to counselors who have this weird training that doesn't make any sense exactly. and I don't think is valid in Exactly. Way. That's what I was about to say. It's not like they're any sort of mental health professional no. or anyone remotely qualified to, to be, you know, the the receptor for these thoughts. And then t- Would they tell you how to deal with it or would they just shame you for it? They would tell you what is dealing with it entail. Um, it usually entails like okay, you have to be honest about it, and then you have to um, you, you have to talk about it first of all, and then usually the action that you would take would be reaching out, um, and reaching out is like um, like supporting the new members or like mm. hanging out with new people and like showing them a lot of love and okay. like so not actually dealing with your own stuff, just yeah. concentrating on other people. Exactly. That's yeah. <laughs> And it's weird because, like, that part of it is, like, also a retention part of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Because, like, the the new people are, like, showered with attention. Yeah. Like, people are all all over them. And that was kind of, like, a really big deal to be, like, um, to be showing the new people, like, getting them to join. Yeah. Yeah. There's a... Another thing, like, oh, they kick around the love word a lot. They're like, I love you, man. Like, within two or three days, people will be coming up to you telling you they love you and stuff okay. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I mean, I thought was weird, but there's this, uh, this is another, like, cult technique, I guess. It's called love bombing, mm-hmm. where it's, like, where you, like, do that, where you show all these people all of this oh. love and attention so that, like, they, you know. Well, that's, I mean, I feel like that is almost like getting them hooked on a drug because, I, you know, any sort of, neurochemicals, whether it's like serotonin or whatever that gets emitted, you know, when you feel it, when you get a love bomb, you mm-hmm. get hooked onto that. Oh, yeah. It, so it seems to me like they're, they're using techniques like, I mean, this is a horrible analogy, but like, you know, sex slaves, they, like, the first step is to get them hooked on heroin or something like mm-hmm. that, on something that, that keeps them there. So it seems to me like they're, they're getting you guys hooked on this love thing and then even like with the sleep deprivation that's a form of like inebriation yeah to, to weaken you guys as well that's so definitely weird another weird kind of side note is like okay so when you join the group you're allowed to smoke like you become a smoker like that's a fact like pack a day smoker everybody there smokes like a pack a day we're talking about children what? like so underage too oh yeah oh yeah everybody's buying cigarettes for everybody everybody's what? smoking uh-huh. all the time yeah, I was a I was a seventeen year old pack a day smoker. I Dude, smoked, that uh, is that's not at all. And they're and they're shaming you for smoking weed. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, dude! That is infuriating. Yeah, I know. Like, I know maybe two people that didn't become smokers. Oh <laughs> maybe my God. two. That's uh, just like AA too. Like everyone goes to AA and ends up addicted to cigarettes. Yeah, that's true. There's definitely it's. Yeah. Oh, so did you have a hard time get stopping smoking cigarettes then? Um, I I kind of was able to get away from it, sort of. I think after I like, because even after you get out of the program, you kind of still hang out with your cult friends. Yeah. But like, not the ones in the program, the ones that are out. Okay. Just because you sort of have had this weird experience. Yeah, I mean, and... it seems like it would be hard, especially in the time directly afterwards, to to make quote unquote normal.
normal relationships. Anymore. Yeah, you don't really know how to do that because you've uh, been away from normal society for so long. Jeez, and it's also like you and the other people that you're in the program have this weird bond. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah, for sure. Not going to be able to get away from ever. Yeah, uh, right, and then you're still close with people that you were in the program with. Yeah, okay. definitely. Actually, the um, the day that I made that Facebook post, I had like uh, one of my friends from the program came down from Asheville, and we were like kind of talking about it, and I think that. That kind of got me fired up, but I've been having yeah. these thoughts for a very long time. Yeah. So, how long now have you been completely unassociated with it? I think it's been about two or three years. Okay, gotcha. So three years, I think. Not quite. I mean, maybe just barely longer than the time you were actually involved in it. Yep, that's right. Man. Um, and so, what's their? I mean, without being too graphic, what's their? Um, what's their stance on like masturbation and stuff like that? Would they shame you for that, or would they, they try to say that it's normal? They would not really shame you for that. They kind of, like, every, each counselor kind of had their own thing with that. Porn was definitely not mm-hmm. advocated. That was, like, a no-no. Yeah. It was yeah. bad to, to watch. It wasn't, like, a huge deal. Like, everybody was like, ah, oh, it's okay, but, like, that's bad. Mm-hmm. It, but it's also, like, why are you telling? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Like, and, like, that just has nothing to do with you. Why am I talking to you about this? And like, so, and then also, how would they feel about group members, you know, forming relationships? Yeah, okay, that was really strange. So, group members forming relationships was something that, like, you had to talk about a lot. Oh. Like, a, like, so much. Even if it wasn't, like, something you were going through? Um, you, you just had to, t- like, we ended up talking about girls, like, all the time. But, like, to actually, um, you couldn't tell a girl that you liked them. <laughs> As part of the rules? Yeah, that's kind of oh. that's kind of part of the rules. Well, you, okay, you you could tell a girl that you liked them, but you have to do you have to talk to somebody for like talk to your sponsor or whatever or your friend group for like a long time about your feelings and what you've been thinking about and whether this is like an okay thing that mm. you pursue this person or whether it's not, and it's just something that like I don't know it was just fucking crazy, um, so yeah. You I mean if you had shared feelings? It's called sharing feelings. Did I say that? Um, uh, I'm not sure. Is that like in in the whatever you would be talking to? That's your... like cult terminology. Oh, well. sharing feelings. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So if you had shared feelings with somebody before, um, you had done like you had talked to other people about it, or uh, kind of before you'd gotten approval. Yeah. You know, because your thinking's fucked, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can't trust yourself. No, you can't. You can't. You can't have feelings <laughs> or tell other. Yeah. You know. Um, so. Yeah, you were fucked if you shared feelings with someone and, yeah, before you had done all of that stuff. Um, also, yeah. I don't know. What was, was the, what was the gender makeup, would you guess? Definitely, probably like 75% men. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then also, what was their stance on, like, homosexuality? Because it's, well, it's not a Christian group, but, like... It's, I was talking to someone the other day, and I think there might be, like, some really vague Christian associations, and I, this is... This is a little bit me talking out of turn, but, like, I saw some weird sh- Like, there were, there were people that were, like, gay, and it was, like, they, they knew they were gay when they got there. Mm-hmm. And then, like, somehow they would get talked out of it. <laughs> like, they got uh, counseled out of being gay huh. somehow. Oh. And there, there were even people, like, um, that would, they would, like, if you dressed in a way that wasn't, you know, normal for your gender, mm-hmm. that's something that, like, they weren't upfront about trying to change that. That would be like a little, a little while into your program thing. But they would definitely manipulate you into thinking that that's wrong mm-hmm. or that you're fucked or yeah. that like you can't trust yourself with those feelings or thoughts. So like, I've met some, I don't know, I've seen some people that like thought they were gay that like, I don't know, were, I don't know, 
manipulated or they had their brain squished enough until they like thought they liked dudes or they thought that they should dress this like like they should more be more feminine or like they should be i don't know more like masculine it's just like huh. and i think that is a those people's experience i think would be really great to hear about yeah because yeah. that that's one of the things that's like it's hard to pin this place down for being very concretely fucked up mm-hmm. you know because everything you say, they have a counter argument. Yeah, I mean, it's all—it seems subjective. Because, like, from the comments that I looked at, it seemed like a, a majority of them were had your perspective, but there were some people who were vehemently, yeah, advocating this place. Yeah. Which I mean, if it works for people, that's great. I mean, that's how I feel about religion. Like, I'm not religious, but if it gets people through the day, then so be it. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I, th- I feel like you got to draw a line somewhere. When it comes to harm versus help. Yeah. The, I think, obviously, if it helped you, I'm really glad. Also, the situation that they're cultivating in the program is that you kind of owe your life to that program. Mm. You probably read a lot of This Place Saved My Life. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, mate, like, it didn't save my life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was, like, smoking weed. Yeah. And, like, and, and that's being a high school kid. Another thing that I think about religion <laughs> is that it, it takes so much away from people because... People are always saying, like, oh, man, thank God I got that job, or thank God I lost weight, or thank God I quit that addiction. You're not giving yourself any credit. Like, you, yeah. you're not putting any faith or strength in yourself. You're just attributing it all to the group True. or to God or whatever. Yeah, uh, it's it's hard. I don't know, because it definitely cultivates a this place saved me mentality, and then, like, you kind of have to, like, remain grateful for that because, like, you owe that place your life, mm-hmm. you know? And, it, like, and so of, I'm sure that there are people... Well, when did the group start? When did this... It's I, the chronology of the whole thing. Is, I'm not really sure about. It's probably been it's, under like thirty different names by now. Yeah, it's probably. I think it's about um, twenty years old. Okay, 20, so twenty to thirty years old. Like I was just saying, like people who grew up in it and everything and still hang around with it are probably really die hard about. Yeah, and I think definitely the more um, distance that gets created, the more between like the more time that passes between your when you're in the program, the more you can kind of see it for what it is. Okay. And a lot of the people that were commenting um, that had, like, more positive things to say of the program, they definitely... I, I graduated before they did. Yeah, so they're fresher um, out of it. They're fresher out of it. and But a lot of them, and, like, you know, a lot of them were, like, older people that did have a drug problem, mm-hmm. and, like, that like they needed rehab, yeah. and, like, this got them to stop using drugs, and, like, fuck, that's awesome. But it fucking warped my brain. So sorry that I'm angry, but I'm fucking yeah. angry. Yeah. And I mean, and see, that's the thing is that I guess if you're at the point where you are about to throw your life away due to, you know, hard drugs and, and you know, real addiction, then it might not be such a bad thing to, to completely change your way of thinking. But to take these young, impressionable kids... That's the problem. ...who haven't even had a chance to make their own way yet, it's disgusting. It's just this fucking crazy thought reform stuff that makes me the most angry. Mm-hmm. It's And the the other thing is, I've never seen them turn someone away. Mm-hmm. I've never seen them be like, you know what? You don't have a drug problem. Yeah. This is a, this is another thing that you can join. These are just some cool kids that you can hang or out with. Or even like, that. surely there's got to be something that they're not qualified to handle. Like, you would think that they would be like, okay, no, you got, we got to refer you to this higher yeah. up or whatever. No, nah, never. It, wow. was, it was definitely sold as like a cure-all, like I said. Yeah. And they would... A lot of times, they, they always advocated that you all stop taking your medication. 
no matter what that was. Prescription medication? Yeah. What? Um, and I've, I've read a few, I, was, I need more people's experience on this also. Yeah. Um, I understand that, like, if you're in a rehab, like, you can't have somebody with, like, a Xanax script yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But it was, it went beyond that. It well, yeah, like, like, so, like, what if you had needed to, like, regulate blood pressure or something? Oh, no, not like that. Okay. Uh, I, or maybe they did, I don't know, I, I can't speak to that. I don't, I don't think they did that, though. Um, oh, like, antidepressants, even? Yeah, any kind of, like, oh. psychological, something that would affect you in that way. Would they, like, at least tell you to talk to your doctor first or anything? I'm guessing not. But. This, this is the conversations that I imagine it, it would go down. It would be, like... All right, your kid's taking these. They're probably abusing them. It's probably messing with their brain. You need to get them off. So they tell your parents that, and your parents go to the doctor, and they're like, hey, I don't think my kid can't take this anymore. It's fucking him up. And your doctor's not going to be like, he's not going to tell your parents no. You yeah. know, he's going to be like, all right, I mean. Yeah, I mean, all he can do, yeah, he can't enforce it. He yeah. Enforce his prescription. Yeah. Ugh. So what was it, um, what was the process if, say, you were in the program and then you got caught smoking weed again or something like that? Um, it was kind of difficult to get kicked out of the program, honestly, if you, if you repented. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, if you, like, um, because, you know, obviously smoking weed is kind of a sign of, like, disobedience, or, mm. you know, you're not, you're kind of refusing to give in. You, you didn't crack like I cracked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, you... You could you could come back if you genuinely wanted to stop using drugs or, um, but if you couldn't stop, then you got kind of kicked out and shunned by the oh, group wow. members. Okay. Um, yeah. Huh. So it was like, would they concentrate on certain people more intensely, who had certain issues or whatever? They would definitely focus on whoever had more problems okay. or whatever. That was definitely the a big part of reaching out is whoever needed help the most. You know, mm-hmm. they would go for it. And definitely the newer people were approached the most or like you know, yeah yeah, talk yeah, to yeah. The most. gotcha. Um, and so what was the graduation like? Was it you know a big cap and gown sort of thing? <laughs> you you like dress nice, and then each person that graduate goes and makes this speech about how insight saved their life. Hey, mm-hmm. that would actually be uh, there's a video of me and the people I graduated with making that speech. Yeah, God, I that is the most cringeworthy thing I've thought about in a long time. Just imagining, that you imagining watching that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. Um, At the time, though, did you believe it? When you, when you start going to AA meetings, which you're supposed to do maybe about a month or so before you leave the group, mm-hmm. you kind of start to, like, realize, like, whoa, this guy was, like, smoking crack and, like, homeless and, like, this person was a prostitute so that they could get drugs. Or like, this person was like drinking as soon as they woke up. And you're starting to realize that you're not an alcoholic or you're not an addict and your identity is kind of falling apart a little bit at that point. So you kind of, you, you kind of realize a little, you have a little inkling of what's going on, but like, but you're still, like you still owe them your life, you know? Mm -hmm. And you're about to go tell everybody and their parents how this place saved your life. Jeez, and that that, t- that takes away so much from real addiction too, because like you said, there's so many people who are struggling, whose lives hang in the balance, and they're over here focusing on people who got drunk when they were 18. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it definitely does take away from real addiction. And I know a lot of people that like do have, um, they did have alcohol problems. Even those people are kind of can be resentful with the program for like how they were treated. Even yeah. if they were an alcoholic, they're they're obviously they're grateful that they're sober, mm-hmm. but they weren't grateful about how they're you know, their brain got messed with. Yeah, it seems like there's definitely healthier ways to beat addiction than to just, you know, 
make people feel like shit all the time. Yeah, it's it's weird because um, it, it is this thing of like you can't trust your own thinking and like you're fucked. But there's also this idea that like being a drug addict makes you special and different, and it's like this identity that like <laughs> the the little closest thing I can compare it to is like when Harry finds out he's a wizard. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm like saying? you're special. Yeah. You're special, but at the same time, it's like there's like. It's like there's an evil side, you know, like uh, yeah. there's an evil side to it, but you, have, cool you, have, you have power, you know, like you can do things that other people can't. So you have like this, it, it's kind of like elevates the, it's the almost like they, they put it to you like you were, you were given this curse because you're supposed to rise above it or something. Yeah, exactly. And then it makes you stronger and that you're not like everybody else mm-hmm. and that you're different. Mm. Ugh. So what was like, you know without naming names or anything, like, what was, like, the most extreme sort of case that you saw, like, the problems that they, that they had? As far as drug use? Drug use, or, I mean, any anything that you thought was, like, the... The, the strangest things in the program, yeah. sort of. Uh, definitely the people, like, that they were convincing not to be gay. That was probably mm. the weirdest shit. So there were people there just for that reason? Oh, no, no. That, that's just, like, a side note. Yeah. That would happen after they'd been there for a while. Yeah, that adds a whole other layer of confusion to everything. Yeah, exactly. Having that kind of experience. And uh, there were also, there's also no people of any kind of color. It was pretty much all white people. There mm. was... There was, um, I had one black friend in the program, and uh, there was, and there was one other guy too, but there was, something weird was going on there too. I think white people are just the most gullible. <laughs> <laughs> that could totally All be it. All the other races have wised up by now. <laughs> yeah, that could totally be it. I don't know. They definitely... Did you pick up on any sort of, like, um, like, something from the counselors, maybe? Like, some racist Yeah, like, they, they, they like that. wanted it to be a mainly white demographic? I can't say that I picked up on that. Definitely that culture kind of was created within the group. Mm, I, I can't yeah. trace it back to the to any conversations I've had with the counselors. Yeah. Um, I know I, what you mean, though. Like, like yeah. my scout troop was kind of the same way. Just, yeah, okay, okay. It's just kind of grossly ingrained. Into yeah, it. yeah, exactly. It's subtly suggested. There, yeah. I, I, it would be interesting to talk to those that guy that was a black guy in the program because, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm trick. He got a lot of shit for it. You yeah. Know? He like he was treated badly by like group members. Man, uh, you know, I I had not even thought about that before yeah. I got here. But that would be an interesting conversation. He's a really bright guy. I'm sure he would have a lot of um, telling stuff to say about that. Yeah. Well, let me go ahead and say. Obviously, we have a lot more to talk about. But anytime you'd like to come back on, I mean, with any new developments or with any other people, I'm happy to have you on. Okay. This is the type of stuff I started this podcast wanting to sort of explore. Hell yeah. And mainly I just talked to comedians and made dick jokes. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's all been fun, but, you know, I feel like this is something that it's actually kind of compelling, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you, you did you get caught smoking weed? or yeah, Like, what were the events leading up to you getting involved in the program? Okay. So... All right, so my brother gets involved with the program. All of a sudden, my parents... What, what, was, what, what led him to that? That's a good question, too. So my brother was also... He was kind of an awkward kid. He was, like, socially not super, um, you know, developed in that way. Yeah. So he had a, a hard time making friends and stuff. And my parents were, like, trying to help him navigate that. But he, like, got bullied a lot. Um, so he eventually went to, like, a magnet school, and that kind of helped him out a little bit. But he was, like, still getting bullied. 
And eventually he started, like, found some people that were, like, smoking weed. And you know when, like, you start smoking weed, you just kind of get adopted into that culture. Yeah. More people smoking weed is more people with money, which is more weed. Mm, yeah. 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 So he got, he got kind of, like, involved with that a little bit. Um, so they caught him smoking weed. And I think that was pretty much it for him. I think he was, he was prescribed Adderall and stuff. And I, I don't, I can't remember if he abused that or not. Um, I don't remember those discussions, but, um... Would you say, though, that he had, like, an abusive tendency with weed, or was it just normal use? Like, normal teen use, I mean. I think he was pretty depressed, and he was also smoking pot, which Mm -hmm. probably didn't help, but, you know, it was definitely, he wasn't a junkie, like, he wasn't a drug addict, he wasn't, like... Wasn't, like, throwing his life away with it. No, he was having a hard go, but, like, he wasn't, it wasn't the drugs that he was going for, he was throwing, you know, I don't know, he was having a hard time. And so it seems like maybe... He was, like you said, he kind of got uh, ingrained in the culture, maybe just for the social interaction, more oh, no. even than the impairment. I mean, a thousand percent, uh-huh. without a doubt. Like okay. it's like because you know when you when you join, you're surrounded by people. Like the yeah. whole love bombing thing. You yeah, know, he's getting all of this attention and love that he's never gotten before, and people that like you know want to talk to him and be around him. Yeah, and like, and like it's crazy because in the short term, that's really great. I think that was it was it's good for him to have friends, you know, it's good for me to have friends and stuff like that. But it's also like this weird I don't know, he made genuine genuine friends there and I made genuine friends there. But like it's like that's used to like get you latched immediately. Yeah. Like that's how they like stick you at first. Um so but you know, your parents would see that and it, they'd see that you have these friends and that you're feeling better and that you're like happier in general just because of that and they would be like, Oh, the program's working. But yeah. it's this weird manipulative thing where yeah. it's like you temporarily have these friends that like are kind of like you know they're I don't know, I don't know how to describe it they're like they they're forcing themselves on you. Well, it's you almost know, like or, they're being your friend just for their sake. Yeah, because like that's what they're gonna be shunned if they're not your friend. Exactly, and like you know you get it's kind of like the the more you like reach out that's what you call helping new people. I don't know mm-hmm. if I mentioned that. The more you reach out, like the cooler you are, and okay, yeah. like so, you want to be like the cool guy that helps a lot of people and yeah. like, saves the day and has the most sponsees, you know. Okay, see, I was curious if they have any sort of like advancement program, like uh, like quote unquote promotions or anything like that. If you get like a special badge for mm-hmm. having the most sponsees or something. Yeah, that's another really really interesting component, also. So um, you you need to pick a sponsor when you join. So obviously, people with a lot of sponsees, the people that are sponsoring a lot of people. They're like higher up in this kind of weird hierarchy, and there's this uh, group called steering, and steering is made of um, maybe like maybe between like six and four group members that are like those are the group members that everybody looks up to, mm. like those are the people that um, have sponsors that are they they say working a program that are like kicking ass and like for some reason you're you're held above like other people mm. in the um, program, and then kind of like next to Next to steering, you'd have, like, the younger counselors. That's, like, who you would look up to. you like, that guy's, like, awesome. Mm-hmm. And then there were, like, the older counselors, which were, like, the kind of, the guys that you met with when you walked in. Like, okay. You know, like, diagnosed you as an addict or whatever. Yeah. And it's crazy because, like, the older counselors are kind of sort of, they're, like, they're, they're, it's this strange hierarchy that exists for no reason because it's just, well, they, we're in a fucking rehab. Why is there any kind of hierarchy at all? Well, I think Why? that that's another control mechanism and another sort of cult-like sort of thing. It's yeah. like, you know, you have to have some sort of method of advancement so that you can be revered. Yeah, exactly, for sure. So that was, like, 
a really strange part. I was actually on the steering committee. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Paula. Yeah. It's crazy to think about. I don't know. It's It sucks because I've given advice to a lot of people that, like, why am I telling them anything? Yeah. Why yeah. am I telling them anything about how to live their life? It makes me sad because I remember, I don't know, I have a few memories of, like, like, kids with, like, serious mental problems, like, trying to talk to me about their feelings and their thoughts and, like, how these behaviors, and I just, like, couldn't understand, but I would say things like pray about it and, like, yeah. talk about it. Well, just, like, 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 the lines that you read out of the guidebook, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, and it's just, like, that's not helping them. Like, they need real help from a yeah. fucking therapist, yeah. like, from a psychologist, and they're not getting that help because I'm fucking telling them to pray about and it. They, like, and they think that you're the expert. Yeah, because I'm in this fucking ridiculous exhaust. I'm swearing so much. I'm sorry. I, no, I don't care. I don't uh, care. I mean, what, was, what was um, the group's uh, mindset on swearing? Uh, they didn't care. They yeah. swear all the time. Yeah, that's what, that's what it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like all those sort of places. Yeah. Yeah. And cigarettes and, and fucks yeah. flying around. Exactly. Exactly. Huh. Um, yeah. So, and then, and then it's, like, other weird stuff, like, uh, because I was in that, like, higher-up position, like, you'd have, like, the newest people come talk to you, and the very new people are, like, you, you have to talk about all of this horrible shit, like, or not, not, like, horrible shit, but it's just, like, I had people talking to me about, like, how they would cut themselves, mm. or I had people talking to me about how they had an eating disorder, yeah. I had people talking to me about, like, like, serious depression, I had people talking to me, you know, it was just, like... Or, or about, like, sex stuff. Yeah. That, like, this person just met me. They are being forced to tell me all of this stuff. Like, within a week or two of being yeah. there, they're supposed to, like, just dump all of their, um, you know, all of this baggage. Yeah. And, like... And, and, like we said, like, they probably truly think that you are the person to, to be divulging this stuff to. Like, they, they look at you as a professional. Exactly. And it's like, I can't help them. I'm... Nobody there can help them because this isn't what they're specialized. They're supposed to be dealing with. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But, I mean, I think that that's sort of what they're going for is that so that that gets them reliant on, okay, well, the only help is to prey on it or, or whatever Tony tells me to do. Yeah. Ugh, man. And, I mean, you and I are comparable ages, and I can tell you I'm not at all the same person I was when I was 18 or 20 or yeah. 21, for that matter. Like, I've changed so much since I was 18. Yeah. So there's no reason at all that anyone 25 or younger should be <laughs> doling out advice to, to kids in this vulnerable situation. No, absolutely not. I don't know. Yeah, it was weird. I shouldn't have been doing that. Looking back on well, it, it makes me sad. Well, I mean, it sucks that that now, I mean, hopefully not, but ostensibly for the rest of your life, you know, this is something that you'll grapple with when really it's not that you didn't bring it on yourself. It's nothing that, you know, you, you weren't, you were just doing it because you thought it was the right thing. Yeah. And that's, that's possibly the worst part is that, you know, now that you've gotten farther away from it and you realize that it's quite possibly the entirely wrong thing, mm -hmm. there's no way to change it in the past. But I mean, except for, uh, like, I think that the, the steps that you are taking and raising people's awareness about it and even, you know, reporting it and everything like that, that's, you know, the way that you can make up for it. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, it's hard to figure out the right way to, um, to go, like, I want, I want that place shut down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't blame I you. I want that place shut down. And I mean, A lot of people disagree. Well, from, from everything I've heard, it sounds like it needs to be shut down. Yeah. So, uh, th that gets me to, what are, like, any resources or steps that you would you would tell people to take in, in reaching that goal? Yeah, I think uh, the, most, um, uh, the most important thing we've been doing is, like, 
Because it's hard because all of these tactics that they would use are a very subtle kind of manipulation, yeah. you know? So yeah. there isn't a lot of technically illegal things with it, but there mm -hmm. are some things that are illegal, like sexual misconduct or giving sexual advice to minors okay, or yeah. like, um, I don't know, just this, the, the weird, the whole homosexuality thing like that, that was weird. God, I can't, there, how do I... Just like things that are, oh man, I, I should have this. I was talking to somebody yesterday about it. Just like anything that is definitely, that was an illegal thing. Like diagnosing like teenagers with like an addiction problem, like yeah. that's not okay. Yeah. Um, they're, they're not really licensed to do what they do. God, I... Would you, I mean, obviously this is, uh, you know, no details or anything like that. And you may not have even had personal experience with it, <clears throat> but like... Have you heard of any sexual misconduct? Any weird stuff going on? Uh, it's mostly, like, you can't talk to kids about their sex lives. Yeah. Like, if you don't have a degree. Like, yeah. if you don't have a counseling degree, don't talk to a child about sex. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're not their parent, like, stop. Well, I mean, are these, like, one-on-one -on -one meetings, too? Yeah. Yeah, see, that's, that yeah. opens the door for all sorts of weirdness. Yeah, I, I can't speak to that. I'm sure counselors would have, like, former counselors yeah. would be able to speak to that yeah i'm sure there's some weird stuff because even if it's nothing there, now that i think about it there are some things that i've heard of with like counselors and kids in the group and stuff going on like that you're right that's that would be a great person to contact yeah yeah, yeah. okay and even if it's not you know physical relationship sort of things even just like suggesting things or or making them think a certain way i mean that's if it's not illegal it's certainly disgusting yeah because i mean who knows I mean, like I've said, and in, in like in things like Boy Scouts and stuff like that, I never outright saw any like physical stuff, and definitely nothing in my troop, no one I knew personally. But like when I would go to scout camp, where it was you know, five hundred troops from all around the country, there were definitely vibes of weird shit going on. Really? Even if it wasn't physical stuff, just like suggestions, mm. or just like leers, even you know, yeah. just 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 weird stuff that you could pick up on. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's gross to think that someone could have one-on-one -on -one access to, like we were saying earlier, like a 14-year-old girl, say, mm. and be able to tell her what's wrong or right to think about sexually. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's sad. It makes me angry. I can think about instances of seeing that and being like, that's creepy and weird. Yeah. And, but it's like, I don't know, you also kind of are forced to be like, you, you're encouraged to be suspicious of other people and like just like ask them you know about their behavior mm. um that's definitely encouraged if you think they're being sketchy or if you think they're doing something weird yeah um but then you're just supposed to accept whatever they say is truth yeah okay yeah, you know? yeah um and so with the counselors do you feel like all the counselors were above board like abiding by all the policies and everything or do you think that some of them were just there for, like, either power or a paycheck or something like that, and then totally disregarding the practices of the group. Um, yeah, say that one more time, sorry. Like, do you think that the, do you think the counselors were living by the, the 12 steps still? Yeah, I have no doubt that they were. Okay. Like, because okay. that's the thing about, like, the, the graduating is almost this thing of, like, fuck, I've got to figure shit out now. Like, mm -hmm. I've got to figure out my life. Yeah. And... The counselors didn't have to do that. They just rejoined the group in a new capacity. Yeah. They were essentially still in the group. Yeah, so they just got broken down and then never really built themselves back up. No, they never really turned into a different person afterwards. So the process of becoming a counselor, you would graduate and then go to that... This weird institution. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. like, it was in Atlanta. I think it might have been like 
like eight to twelve weeks. I think there's like a test at the end or something. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. I've got. I. I need to figure out what what that's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a counselor would be a great person. I know a few people that I would like to talk to about that. It's hard too because you. Uh, I don't know how the best way to. Um, like I would like to collect all of the stories. You know, because there needs to be evidence of yeah. what's going on. Yeah. But I don't want them to know that I'm collecting evidence. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I know what you mean, exactly. And yeah. it's like, really what I want, like, I just want no one to go there. Yeah. I want it to get shut down. I want people to know about it. They're obviously not advertising very much. It's very much word of mouth. Yeah. And, like, and initially, in the short term, it works very well. You know, your kid's happy now. Your kid has friends. Your mm-hmm. kid's, like, not doing drugs. Your kid's also probably, like, dropped out of school. Your kid's also, like, smoking a pack a day. Dropped like, out of school? That's... Oh, yeah. That's, like, pretty encouraged, like, right when you join the program. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. That's pretty strongly encouraged. Whoa. That's crazy. Yeah. It's it's temporary, for sure, but um, they, they're, so like... So they say just, like, take a break from school, concentrate on this? Yeah, pretty much. Whoa. Yeah. It's not like, they, they ask you what you think you should do, but it is very strongly suggested that you should not. And it sucked, like, I know what happened to me is, like, I, I did stay in school throughout the um, my treatment time. Uh-huh. I think a lot of that was, because I was pretty fucking stubborn, and I was like, look, you are not going to drop out of high school. I don't have a drug problem. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. For the first 30 days, that was kind of the page I was on. Um... So, but after that, after I cracked, um, I ended up going to a middle college, um, and I don't know if you're familiar with middle colleges. No. no. Middle college is, is kind of where you go, like, I think the school started at noon and it ended at five. Okay. So it was like, some, some people could work in the morning, it was for kids that were like really struggling with school, that like probably weren't going to make it at a normal high school, mm. um, and the classes were incredibly easy, um, very laid back kind of atmosphere, and like, I'm... It wasn't where I should have been. Yeah. That hurt me. Going there hurt me. Like, uh, the two people I was closest to before I joined the program, um, they both, like, they both went to Chapel Hill. Like, they both, like, live in New York now. Like, they both have, like, cool, like, adult jobs and, like, are very smart people. Yeah. And, like, that's the, per- those are the people that I rejected so that mm. I could hang out with a bunch of people that think they're junkies and go to a middle college. Like, Jeez. And there's, there's nothing, first of all, there's nothing wrong with middle colleges. Yeah. I think they're yeah. awesome and that a lot of people really need that. I did not need that. Mm-hmm. I needed, mm-hmm. like, to be around, like... So it seems like it's almost just like a GED sort of thing. It pretty much is. It's, like, the easiest way to get a high school. I diploma. can't believe that they encourage you to drop out of high school. Like, that is the wildest fucking that was, thing. That was one thing that the, the person I talked to said that they could get in legal trouble for. Yeah, that's... For suggesting that. That definitely seems like it. And then also, I mean, what what... 15-year-old is going to hear that and be like, oh, yeah, I want to go to high school. <laughs> yeah, let me go back. Put me in school. Yeah, I'm trying what, to crack the books. What the fuck, man? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. And that's, I mean, that's an aspect that I hadn't considered either is that, like, you know, the, the people that you were with before this, their lives weren't affected by it. Yeah, exactly. And it's weird, like, the more just, like, you know, I've, I've like, I'm watching them grow up and, like, how, how successful they've been and, like, how well they're doing and, like, First of all, I'm very glad. Yeah. They're awesome. They're great people. They actually, like, when I when my parents admitted me to the program, I didn't know this until actually, I think I, after I'd gotten out of, after after my three years of being there, but both of the my friends from Chapel Hill went up to my parents and were like, look, Tony's a normal kid. <laughs> like, he doesn't need this. Please don't send him there. 
And of course, my parents didn't tell me that, you know? Mm -hmm. I didn't hear about that until several years later. And I'm sure that was fucking scary for this fucking 16-year-old kid to just go up to my parents and tell them, like, you know, they just saw how crazy this place was. Like, they knew it was coming, and they tried to, I don't know. They they stuck their neck out for me pretty hard. but you're still close with them? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm close. Good. Well, I've, I've reconnected with them Yeah. now. And they um, were understanding and everything? Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm curious. I don't know. Because I didn't have any contact with them during yeah. those three years. Every now and then I would run into them in Greensboro, but I don't know. I did have people that, like, you know, that I would talk to or hang out with that I was told to just completely ignore, you know? So that's that's what ended up oh, happening with that. Yeah, geez. that's pretty weird. So, I know some, I definitely lost some friendships that I could have rekindled because of that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of different aspects to it, man. Um, yeah. So it was based in Greensboro? There, I think originally it was in St. Louis, maybe. It's this guy, Bob Meehan, that started it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the documentary talks a lot about Bob Meehan, and they, like, pretty much make him look like the devil. Yeah. They spend a lot of time on, like, how horrible he is. And I don't know. I don't think... I think that was probably a misstep focusing that much on Bob Meehan. Yeah. It would have been a better idea to focus on like how this affects the people. Practices and everything. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but yeah, it started in St. Louis. He was like uh, he was like a janitor or something, and he like started helping young kids at a church. Um, and then it just kind of built steam from there. It's really so weird. He was a janitor who started yeah. giving life advice. Yeah, he was like NAA, and the, at the church there were like some troubled teens or something. And the teens like he would like counsel them. And then the teens, like, really started to like him, and they started hanging out with him a lot, and they start, you know? Whoa. Yeah. And there's some videos of Bob Meehan saying some, like, really racist stuff. Oh, yeah? And, like, Jesus. homophobic stuff. Um, God. Well, that's a fucking... Oh, what's his name? I can't think of his name now. Um, Scientology dude. Oh, uh, um, L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> Sounds like he was more qualified even than this dude. At least he wrote <laughs> yeah. science fiction. Yeah, definitely. This guy was just cleaning... Yep. Church pews? Pretty much. And he was in AA, and that was it. Yeah. It's a weird story. I'll have to check that documentary out, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. It, it's interesting. It's a little bit different because, I don't know, the the documentaries with older people, I think, he, he's, he's definitely a little bit further away from like what his experience was like in the group. Yeah. Maybe that's why he wasn't really focusing as much on like how... The practices. The practices. Stuff, yeah. He definitely talks about it, though. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely watch it. Uh, but... I don't know. And it, it seems like it was probably a lot harder to get in contact with the people he used to be in the program with just because he doesn't have the means. Yeah, no Facebook or anything. Yeah, no like Facebook or anything. And that's, I was going to say earlier when we were talking about, you know, why it would be easy for them to target parents and everything like that. I think that, I think that the generations like ours and even our parents before us who, who do have, I mean, the internet's a broad way to put it, but just like, the, the capability to see other people's experiences and to see what is normal around the world, yeah. I think that, that probably changed a lot. And, I mean, you were in there at a time when probably everyone had cell phones and stuff like that. Mm, yeah. Did they encourage, like, social media use? Um, they didn't really have much to say about yeah. social media use, except for that you should cut off. Actually, no, they didn't. They said, make a new Facebook mm. with only group people. Oh, You're completely fuck. right. That is what they did. Um, a lot of times that was suggested, for sure. Yeah, so it was, it was insular in that way, too. I think the... Because there have been some things that have happened. Like, there have been news stories about Bob Meehan and stuff and, like, how this is a cult. Mm-hmm. And, like, they've been able to rebuild after that, mm-hmm. I think, by, like, doing things like renaming the program yeah. or having the paper trail go to a different person. So 
Bob Me Bob Meehan is quote unquote not affiliated, but he, yeah. he owns the thing. That's like the same thing with AA. Uh, the dude who started AA, like he started becoming a uh, LSD advocate. Really? And so then, yeah, AA Bill? kicked him out. Yeah, Bill, exactly. Nah. Yeah, so they, yeah, <laughs> they, they like, totally disassociated uh, with him wow. because he started advocating LSD as a way to get, you know, wow. to break alcohol addiction. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy how that can happen. It's like um, like someone getting kicked out of a band that they started. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you're talking about those friends and everything. Who do you know of, of many people um, who graduated from the program? And then went on to be quote unquote successful, not in like the eyes of the program. Yeah, there's um, that's that's another weird uh, part here. I've I've met a handful of people. I met I met one person that is like the most go gettingest mother. Like there's two people actually. Two people that are like complete go getters, and they like are kicking ass. Mm-hmm. Like they're like doing school, making straight A's. One of them's like gonna become a lawyer. There's there. There's two people that do that. And, and actually, there's this one girl that, like, was able to, like, get away. She actually left before she graduated, and, like, now she's doing a bunch of cool stuff and kind of, like, found her way. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I think it left a lot of people in a situation they should never have been in. You know, they're kind of broken. Their life kind of took a different route. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, just, you know, all the emotional stuff and everything aside with school. It's, it's, it's yeah. insane. Because it seems to me like... The group probably tells you that their idea of success is one breaking whatever quote unquote addiction that you have, yeah. and then two just furthering the group. Yeah. Like they probably well, obviously they want you to do that if the dude's making money off of it. It seems like they yeah. want you to graduate and then become a counselor. For sure. They and also like the the furthering the group is a weird. It's like a, something that's suggested in a way that's like, don't. It's not you're doing it for the group. It's you're doing it for you. You know, which is a much better incentive than doing it for the group, you yeah. know? Because, like, obviously, you got to look out for number one. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You know how, so they couch it like that, but they warp it into this way, so they're, like... Well, it's like, it's like you said, like, your identity becomes tied into the group, so... Oh, man, like, your identity is the group. Yeah. Literally, the group becomes your god. It is intense. And I know that's, like, sounds really dramatic, and that's kind of hard to swallow, but that is what is suggested. And and it's it's crazy because I just didn't realize what was being suggested to me. Yeah. You know, I like didn't wasn't able to pull all of that together just because there was so much crazy shit going on all at once. I wasn't able to process all of this. Yeah. You know, I didn't think I should belong there in the first place. So I'm like, it's like having to like, it's you're getting immersed in this entirely new culture and you have to find your footing. Mm-hmm. You know, and if like the, if somebody's telling you this is how they did it and this is what helped them, you're like, okay, I guess I'm gonna do that now because I can't. I can't, like, leaving the group made, oh, another thing that they would advocate, so if you left the group, a lot of times your parents would, your, they would, like, the uh, counselors and stuff would, they would tell you, they would tell your parents, like, okay, kind of disown them, like, kind of tell them that they're on their own, like, they can't, yeah. Oh my god, Yeah. this, it keeps getting worse, I thought the, the school thing would be, like, the, the nail in the coffin, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And they're saying, it, and that, that part was mostly drug-based. Like, if they didn't want to be in the program and you were using, tell them that they can't live at your house. Mm, okay. And it's like, that kind of, I mean, no, that doesn't make sense. You can't tell that to, like, a 17-year-old kid or yeah. like a 16-year-old yeah, kid. Yeah, it'd be different if you're, like, 30 and living at home. Maybe, yeah. maybe then you could tell that to your parents. But even that, that's this, extreme. Yeah, okay, so this is crazy. But, um, so I got caught one time, and then I went and saw Will, and they were like, 
And then, and, and after I got caught the first time, I was, like, repentant. I was like, I will never smoke weed again, I promise. And I really meant it because I hated smoking weed. I just did it because I thought it made me cool. Mm. Um, so I, then I got caught a month later, and they are like, okay, you're joining the group now. Or they, I got caught again, and they are like, okay, here's the deal. You can join the group. You can go to a wilderness program. I don't know if you've heard of those. Those wow. sound also terrible. Someone, like, steals you away in the middle of the night, and you go to a, get into the woods for, like, six months in Colorado that also warps people's brains, and I'm what? pretty sure. Yeah, that's you should definitely look into that also. Whoa. Check out some weird shit. Um, and then, or the other option is, like, a mental hospital. Um, these are the options your parents gave you? These are the options my parents and the cult leader guy was uh, giving me. Um, uh, and, or there's there are other treatment facilities, like rehabs, um, but obviously more intense rehabs, kind of, because, like, they make the group look appealing and fun, you know? So it's like, oh, well, I'd rather do the group than go to a different yeah. rehab. I'd rather go, go to the group than go to a mental hospital. Yeah. I'd rather go to the group than, you know, fucking go to the woods for six months. Yeah, especially getting kidnapped in the middle of the night. Holy shit. Yeah, there's some pretty traumatizing stories about that. I think there's, yeah, you should, you should look into that. Yeah, I definitely um, will. Um, and so... Oh, oh, but what I was saying, okay, so they, like, they caught me the second time, and I was like, okay, I'm leaving, <laughs> like, yeah. so I packed my bags, and I lived, and, like, my friend had this abandoned, like, his parents had this house that they didn't live in, that they would party in, so I, I was like, I'm gonna make it on my own, wow. I was like, I was that, because I'd seen my brother grow up in this freaky fucking cult, and I was like, oh. I don't want to be a part of that, like, uh, get me the fuck out of here, okay, yeah. so I was, like, so against it, that I was like, okay, I'm gonna leave, and then... You're seventeen. Yeah, time? I was I was sixteen then. Um, I was about to turn seventeen, but uh, so so I was like living in this crazy house, and and then my parents were like, "Hey, you're seventeen, you're you're sixteen, and like you can't do that because we could get in trouble." And I was like, <laughs> looking back on it, it's like, of course you can get in trouble. I'm fucking sixteen. <laughs> yeah. Like you shouldn't kick me out of your house. Like yeah. why are you doing that? Like just let me figure something else out. Oh, like I don't want to go to rehab. Man. So but how long were you living on your own? It was just like a week, and then they were like, you could they we they could take your sister away, and I was like, okay, but like you're doing this to yourself. I don't know. I ended up going back. Then I got stuck in the then the cult, and then you know, man. off from there. So I mean, without. Without, you know, throwing them under the bus or anything, what do you think, why do you think your parents had this reaction? Um, I think, A, it seemed to work very well for my brother. Um, Did either of them have, like, problems with addiction? My grandma, I mean, might have had some issues. I don't really know the full scope of that. I think maybe, like, somebody, I think, I feel bad for saying my grandma. I don't know. Uh, whatever. There, there are a couple people in my family that, like, maybe they have some problems. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't really have the full scope of that. Um, but so I could, I could see why they would be scared, especially since it's like, you know, actually that would make more sense since it's like, if it were my grandparents, it would be like, be like my dad, like hoping that I don't end up like his dad. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. Or like my mom hoping that, you know. Yeah, for sure. Like that would be a fear that they could have. But neither of them personally had, had issues with it. And then. Would you, would you just, would you say you just consider them, like, maybe a little old-fashioned or something, or? Definitely, uh, my mom was pretty strict, and I think, I mean, my mom, if she saw anything like that going on, she was like, you need to go to rehab, we need to get this shit figured out, like, boarding school, whatever we gotta do, this has gotta stop, you're, you know. Wow. Because, I mean, it's a typical reaction, you know, to get grounded or something like that, or yeah. lose your keys for a month or something if you get caught smoking weed, but. Yeah. automatic rehab or, or kicked out of the house I wouldn't say is a 
traditional reaction. No, definitely not. And and also, it's important to keep in mind that they've already been in the group for a year, so this is how they've been. Yeah, that's right. There's also a parent program, so the parents are all talking to each other um, about how to, like, deal with their kids. They meet, Mm. like, once a week. Oh, man. So that's probably plenty of brainwashing going on. Yeah, yeah. They're getting it from their end also. Wow. Um, And you mentioned earlier, you know, that you... You're trying not to have, you know, hard feelings and stuff with your parents. Do you have a good relationship with them now? Um, it's getting better. Uh, I've definitely, like, and that's, that's uncommon, I would say, for people in the group to not have a good relationship with your parents. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would think, um, because after you cut off all your friends, you know, you kind of like, well, I guess I'm going to hang out with my parents more. And it's definitely encouraged by group members, like, get close to your family, Mm -hmm. get close to your family. Um. Which obviously makes the group look pretty good. Yeah, and if your parents are getting the same stuff pumped into them, then that just goes to feed the the beast. Yep, yep. It's a it's a cycle for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and so and what's your parents' perspective on the group as of now? I am not sure. It's kind of so. I don't know. I said some things I regret after my brother passed away. But um, they, they did a lot to try and help him, and they didn't really know what his issue was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think it's hard for a parent to admit, like, there's something wrong with my kid. Yeah. In, like, a way that's, like, they're, they're not normal. Like, that's know? deep-seated. Like, that's yeah, not just something you can change. Exactly. And I think that might be something that they didn't really want to look at. Um, was... He, your brother was never diagnosed with anything? He, he was diagnosed with, like, ADHD... Um, my my parents think he might have had like borderline personality disorder, but that wasn't something. And he had like seen psycho psychologists every now and then, therapists every now and then. Um, but so they would they would try and figure out what was going on, but they really didn't have a good grasp on it. Um, so like when they sent him to a magnet school, that was probably pretty helpful for him for him because he was just like in a smaller group. Yeah. You know, there was people he could close to in that way. And like when he joined the group, you know, obviously I thought that was a good thing for him, but. You're, but what happens when you're joining the group is like the, you're making these friends and you're learning how to deal with society in a way that isn't real. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you, you're learning how to deal with all of that and like, like you ha- and once you get back out, you have to relearn starting, like, I think I'm definitely not as emotionally immature as a 23-year-old man. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's definitely impacted me in that way. I like, you know. They're like they're like young adults, like having careers and jobs and stuff like that. I'm kind of more uncomfortable. I'm like more comfortable hanging out with like people that are a little bit younger because I'm kind of can see them on the same level. Yeah, that's kind of, kind of something that they talk about in the um, like if you read about cults and stuff, like your emotional maturity kind of gets stunted. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that's, well, and that's I feel like you know that's a tactic just because like you were saying like for especially someone like uh, maybe your brother who already had a hard time like in social situations you go and get you get used to this one type of social interaction and then maybe you try to go to a university or something and it's totally different that's exactly what happened so he um, he got out of the program he was maybe in AA for like a year and then he went to ECU and when he was in Greensboro he had like a few like member like you know former members that he okay, yeah. and he went to ECU and I'm sure and I don't think that adjustment went well for him yeah. um, he did like he like started like doing like smoking I think um, and and eventually he got kicked out of his dorm because he had a bowl or something mm-hmm. they're pretty yeah. strict to ECU um, so he got sent back home and my parents thought he was like a drug addict you know because he got caught with a bowl and he it was weird because he seemed like he was doing pretty well um, like academically anyway I don't know I it's I don't really try and think about this very often, so it's gonna it's gonna take a little bit to piece that together. 
Um, but so so then he got sent back home, and then he started using like a lot. Um, was he doing anything heavier? Or just weed? yeah, he was doing a lot. He was doing like Xanax and like yes. I think he was doing some heroin at yeah. some point. Um, and and he would have like stints where he would be in uh, um, halfway houses and stuff like that. And he would be sober for a little while, and then he would like not be sober. It sucks because how do you? Know, I, this is my experiences. I would have never done anything besides. I, I actually I, I don't know. I I had no plans on doing any other kind of drugs besides like smoking weed and drinking and stuff. Like mm-hmm. I didn't like have any plans to do anything else. But after I got out, I found out about all of these drugs that apparently aren't that big of a deal that, like, everybody else that I know had done. So it was like, well... Like I, things like, like psychedelics and stuff like that? Like that, I mean, and, like, other stuff. Um, yeah. And, and harder stuff. But, so, like, had he not been exposed to people that were saying all of this shit, I don't think he would have ever done that. Yeah. Like, he wasn't... That wasn't what interested him. Like, yeah. that's not why he was using drugs, you know? I, I know for me that I would not have done a bunch of stuff that I've done that I regret. But did, did he reject the program after being in it? I, he was really hard to um, get a hold on uh, with all of this. Uh, he was, it was hard to get a read or a feel for like what he thought. Because, hmm. um, I, mean, I mean, on top of everything he was dealing with before that, you had in the emotional turmoil of going through everything that the group put him through, or yeah. you through for that matter. Exactly. That changes your perspective with everything that changes, you know, what you will or won't do, what you might try to soothe, whether it's, you know, emotional pain or just confusion or anything like that. I mean, yeah, I, I can imagine how it, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And it's also like, you kind of have it beat into your brain that you're a drug addict. So, yeah. so like, of course, even if you, even if you like, like the first little bit of like being out and like, maybe you like drink a beer or maybe you like smoke a joint or whatever, it like, you're like okay, that was okay. You still have in the back of your mind that you're a drug addict. Yeah. Like so, yeah. you can you kind of like in a lot a lot of cases, I've seen people just like end up living out of that. Yeah. Well, it's a self fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. And it's even if it's not that, it's self defeating because even if you don't go on to do drugs, you have it in the back of your head that I can't do anything because I am a drug addict. Exactly. And like I said, there's so much shame in there that I really think shame is one of the most powerful forces <clears throat> in human nature. Um, almost always negatively. Yeah. Like, it's hard for me to think of a, of a situation where shame benefits someone. But it's it's weird because it's like, it's kind of alluring. Like you find out, you know, that there's a little part of your mind where it's something you, that, that you know you shouldn't do and it, it, it draws you towards it. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I, I don't know, this is dumb. This is what I think about sometimes, but um, I was in this like psychology class or whatever and she was talking about how like, when you're talking about not doing something, you're also thinking about doing that. Yeah. Thing. So she was, the, the example she gave was like, don't think about white bears. Yeah, exactly. It's like the game. Yeah. 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 It's like, so you thought about a white bear, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because you can't not do it. Yeah. It's the same with like, you know, I'm not yeah. a drug addict, like saying that to yourself. It's like, well, shit. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah. The alternative to not being a drug addict is being a drug addict. Yeah. And like, yeah. that's what you end up thinking about. Huh. Yeah, so I mean, by that rationale, you would think that a rehab program would do everything they can to just get the word addict out of your thought process. Yeah. You know, to just concentrate on other things. It was, the the crazy part is like, the addict part is what attaches you to the group. Yeah. You know, so that's yeah. not an identity well, that you want to lose when you're in the group, and it's really hard to say that you're not an addict. And even when I was in the group, I was like, I like had in the back of my head, I was like, 
I'm not a drug addict. No. I kind of know. But, like, I've, you know, I've said all the fucking time that I was a drug addict. Yeah. Because I want to belong, you know? I want to be a part of. Like, eat it, it yeah. So, that's, yeah, that's, like, your badge that you put on to be in the group. Exactly. And you're a drug addict. And it's crazy, because you can, like, prove your addiction in ways that don't have anything to do with drugs. Like, if you, like have, like, or if you've been thinking about girls, like, obsessively, or, like, if you, like, have a video game that you've been playing all the time, or, like, if you're, like, super, it's just, like, you, you find different, like, conniving ways to prove uh, your addiction. So, like, sort of. any, anything that would, that would, like, lead to the association of a addictive personality exactly. would be proof that you're an addict? Exactly. Which uh, would make you feel like you belong even more, which would make you, like, gnarlier, like, sometimes more respected, or... Uh, you know? I mean, it seems to me like pretty much anyone could qualify to, oh, to be in the I group. never saw them turn anyone away. Never. <sighs> no, I did not. Um, yeah. Which is the fucked up part about it. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> the fucked up. Is, yeah. <laughs> it's a, a long th- list. Yeah, it's a long list. And the, the hardest part is like, I don't know, you've seen, you seen the people on Facebook that like everything I've said, like, they have something to say back. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I could, I can argue their points for them. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I know them so well. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. I can, like, they would be, they would hear this podcast and they would be like, he's bitter and angry, he's, like, resentful, he needs to get over it, he uh, needs to, like, work a program, he should have been talking about this a long time ago, he hasn't been honest, he, he hasn't to been, do like, more reaching out. working past it, yeah, I haven't been reaching out to the right people. It's just, like, and, and this is, this is the thing, though. Uh, they, you know, in some ways, they're right. I am not over it. Like I should have, I should have been working on getting over this. But at well, the same I mean, time, I, it, it seems to me like this isn't something that you get over. It's something that you know you overcome, maybe. Yeah. But it's always going to be with you, and I mean, I feel like that's probably a good thing because it's gonna, it's gonna let you know what you made it through. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, it seems to me like those mental challenges during. Maybe not during the time you were there, but since then. Yeah. Having overcome that, it seems like that's one of the greater battles of your life. For sure, right now, definitely. I hope I have, like, less... I hope it gets better from here. I don't know. Uh, yeah. They, that's like, it's weird because it's ingrained into you not to be resentful when you're in the program. That's, like, a word that they'll use to, like, um, kind of dislodge any argument you have it's because yeah. it's like kind of like a code word for you just having feelings well like, it's like it's you're like just angry it's like having a conversation uh, with someone and they call you racist that automatically discredits anything yeah. that you say yeah. exactly exactly so that's a pretty loaded word that they'll throw at you um and i don't know you i don't know how much of the discussions you've gotten to see but that's that's what comes up a lot that word yeah resentful yeah. like you need to get over it and it's just like you're missing the point like that's not what i'm talking about i like you're right i'm angry and you're right that i should get over it like that would be helpful for me but at the same time this is a bunch of very terrible weird shit that happened yeah like why are you trying to take that away from me yeah 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 also what comes with people telling you to get over it is like it's like somebody saying like stop thinking about it you know and like which is a good perspective for somebody that would want insight to continue existing exactly yeah, yeah, yeah yeah like just don't worry it's all right. Move on. Yeah. Yeah. Just stop thinking about it and then we can keep making $8,000. Exactly. Every time someone wants to become a counselor. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems to me like you're taking all the right steps and it seems to me, obviously I'm not an expert, but I mean, it seems like that's, that is the way to rectify it in, in your mind, you know? Yeah. Um, whether, you know, it, whether people stop going to it or whether 
Well, let me let me say whether everyone stops going to it or whether you just get you know one family to avoid it. Yes. Yeah. Essentially, I mean, not really the same thing, but you'll have made a difference in that way. Hopefully, that is absolutely the objective. I don't know. I, I just want people to be aware of what they're getting into. Yeah. Like, if, if a child needs to, like, have, like, some thought reform because things, things are going badly, like, maybe that's okay. It wasn't okay for me. Um, but, like, they need to know that that is what's happening here. Yeah. Like, this is not normal. Like, this is damaging. This yeah. is a problem. People are getting hurt. I, I'm getting hurt. Like, other people are, too. It's weird. I, you know, like, after that post, I've gotten, you know, some messages. People have reached out to me. Obviously, you reached out to me. Um, there was this kid that reached out to me the other reached out that's funny that <laughs> yeah, they got you <laughs> <laughs> they did damn so there was like this kid that was like in the program who I guess had seen the post or wanted to comment and he like friend requested me and then he just started getting on there and talking shit so I was like delete mm. and then he hit me up personally and he was like hey man like you're wrong about this inside thing. And I was like, okay, but why are you telling me that I'm wrong? And then he just went on to tell me that he'd been in there since he was 15 and that he's 18 now and that this place saved his life. And I was like, man, like, I know where you're coming from and I know that you think this place was good for you, but you just wait. Yeah. Because a few years from now, you're going to be feeling it. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and that's the sad thing, too, is that you can tell someone that who's in there having all the experiences that you've had, but because he's a part of the group, he'll never listen to it. He won't. And it's, and it's weird because afterwards, it is something that you want to move on from. It is something that you don't want to talk about anymore. It is something that you don't want to tell people about. That's what makes it so hard to move on, just because you don't really get much opportunity to talk about it. Yeah. And at the same time, like that's why nobody wants to talk about going to a rehab. Nobody wants to talk about this weird cult that they're in. That's probably why they're not getting a lot of press. Absolutely, you know? yeah. People are scared to talk about it. Yeah, that's it. why they're they're not regarded the same way as Scientology or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why that Facebook post that I made was pretty controversial is because that's not something that a lot of people are willing to put on their Facebook page. Yeah, especially when it starts with fuck insight. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was awesome though. Man. Yeah. I thought that's the way to do it for sure. Yeah, I definitely, when I made that post, it was absolutely to get people riled up to, yeah. to start a conversation. Yeah. Um, so, and so far, it's absolutely done that. So, I'm very happy. That's awesome. I mean, if nothing else, you've done that. Yeah. I mean, surely, you've at least planted a seed of doubt in these people who yeah. who have yet to realize the emotional tur- turmoil they're going through. Yeah. Because, I mean, it seems like even while you're in there... I mean, I don't know. It seems like while you're in there you've still got to be really confused. You've still got to be battling with these things that are your natural urges, like Mm -hmm. sexual thoughts or, you know, just wanting to blow off steam with friends or something. Being told that all that is the wrong thing to do and that the group is the the right way. Like, it's got to be confusing even if you are steadfast and thinking that it's the right thing. Yeah, definitely. It's weird because, like, the solution to your problems is, like, spending time with the group and doing group stuff. Yeah. And, like, praying and stuff like that. Yeah. And even praying is, like, spending time with the group in your mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. Um, so at the end of each night, would they have, like, a closing ceremony or anything like yeah. that? Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. How do you know? <laughs> so, yeah, the, Were you there, the, the fact that I can you predict... Me? <laughs> the fact that I can predict all this cult-like stuff is a bad indicator. 
Yeah, we would close with the serenity prayer. That's the oh, yeah. like the grant me the serenity. To yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And then there were there were like chants that we did before the meetings that were like inside specific. I can't remember them now. Um, it's been a while. I should get somebody to record them because I'm sure they're great. Yeah, um, yeah. Get it out there. Yeah. So like, do you have any sort of like? This has become like a buzzword. Do you have like any triggers that like maybe the the serenity prayer or something like that takes you back to a bad place? Um, uh, the only trigger I could think of is probably, like, seeing other people that were in it or talking to other people that were yeah. in it. Um, there's, like, oh, there's even, like, a weird symbol. There's a weird symbol for the cult. It's a, it's a necklace that you get when you get 30 days sober. Oh, it's Jesus. A, it's a leather necklace, and it has a monkey's fist on the bottom. Uh, monkey's fist is, like, a sailor's knot. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yeah, and it has, like, a little lead ball in it. And so mm-hmm. when you got 30 days sober, you'd have the monkey's fist, and everybody wore their monkey's fist. That was, like, everybody wore that. That was the deal. Huh. Um, is that supposed to, like, is the lead supposed to symbolize, like, I, the weight of... They, they didn't explain, explain it at all. <laughs> <laughs> they did not explain it at all. Huh. They okay. were just like, you got this now. And, like, your sponsor goes up and he, he like, talks about you and you feel really good. And yeah. then he gives you the 30-day thing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, now I'm going to be here forever. Like, after, they, after you get that 30-day necklace, you're pretty much hooked yeah like they got you at that point so yeah you mentioned that after 30 days when it changed for you was that when it changed for you uh when it changed for me was like there was i don't know i had this snapping point i i had pretty much been avoiding talking to people i pretty much pretty put up put off getting a sponsor put off like telling anybody anything about myself um and then like during, in the, um, like, outpatient things, like, people would, like, leave, they, they would leave, and you'd, you'd say, like, everybody would go around the circle and, like, say a really nice thing uh, about this person, um, and, you know, everybody, like, I never said I loved him or loved anybody or, like, yeah. love this guy, I love you, man, love you, bro, um, so I remember this guy was leaving, and I said it, and I was like, that was it. Huh. Then I was, I was in. Do you, yeah. Did you, did, did saying that, like, make you feel a certain way, did you feel better saying it? I think I did. I kind of, like, that was a point where I, like, hit, like, I belong now. Huh. Okay. I've always wondered, like, there was one day in high school where, I don't know what it was, but I just, like, I felt on top of the world. And so, like, at at that point in my life, I told myself, I was like, oh, man, this is God. Like, this is God acting through me. Like, something about that one day, like... I don't know what it was. I've never felt it since then. Really? Yeah, and I've, I don't know if I ever will. I don't know. If, maybe wow. maybe if God's real, I can ask him. <laughs> what was up with that? Maybe that was just like when puberty started and I got my first rush of hormones. Or <laughs> That's a really interesting experience. Yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome. And like and at that point in my life, like I was really heavily involved in my youth group and everything, so it just like it resounded oh, me. Okay, and like, yeah, yeah. This is what I need to be doing. Yeah. And you know, I'm not mad at that at all. Like right. I don't regret any stuff I did with my youth group. They mm-hmm. didn't brainwash me. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's but fair. like, did you have any like really therapeutic moments there? Like any anything where you like you felt like, yes, this is right for um, I, it was mostly, like, the most therapeutic I, moments I would have is, like, these, little, like, talks or whatever. Um, you know, like, being a teenager trying to figure out, like, the world, like, mm-hmm. the universe, like, who you are, what everything is, and, like, talking to other people, like, would seem, it felt like it made it make sense. Yeah. Like, because you had this concrete thing, like, this is the way to live, like, this is me figuring it out during these talks. So that thought it was therapeutic, and it turned out not to be. Yeah. 
That's, yeah. that's the way things always go, like, when we're 14 and 15. Like, we think that these are the yeah. moments we're always going to remember. Yeah. And yeah. then two years later, what the fuck was Yeah. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess that's how it always goes. Like, you always think that this moment is the most important moment, but... For sure. Huh. So, um... If you don't mind, I would like to take a break and take a piss real quick. <laughs> okay, okay, man. okay, we'll be right back. All right. Are you are you comfortable going into things with your brother? Uh, yeah. Okay. Because you mentioned he passed away earlier. Um, would you mind sort of explaining the circumstances? Uh, yeah. So, um, so he wasn't doing very well in Greensboro. Um, he like he'd been like shooting dope, we think, and like and Xanax and stuff like that. So he went to a dual diagnosis facility in um, Mississippi, and he seemed like he was doing pretty well, and he was there for, um, I can't remember, it was like six to eight months or something like that, six mm. months to a year, wow. somewhere, somewhere along those lines. And he, like, um, one day we just got a call. It was like my family got a call. Like a police person showed up to their door, and they are like, um, your, you know, Chris uh, killed himself. Um, yes, and that was, like, at 3 in the morning, you know, my parents are calling me, and I'm in, like, my apartment, um, jeez. So this was when you were in college? Yeah, this is, I was still living in Greensboro, this might have been, uh, this is about two years ago now. Okay. Yeah. Was he, before he went to the dual diagnosis, was he living with your family, or living on his own? He was living in a halfway house, um, and he had, like, a job at, uh, Greensboro Coliseum, I don't know, he's about to get fired, my dad was friends with the guy that um, he worked for, and he kind of let my dad know that something was going on, mm-hmm. um, my parents didn't really know what to do with him, you know, and, they, and they've been, you know, they've been told the whole time, like, if you're going to use, you can't stay here, like, you've got to go to a, tre- I mean, it was good that he went to a dual diagnosis place, because at that point, like, he was using a lot of hard drugs, and at that point, he, like, I don't know, he, he did have, like, mental stuff that was hard to deal with, Yeah, you know? But at that point, you know, it's like you—he'd already gotten pretty. I don't know. He got—he got fucked. He got fucked. He got the short end of the stick. That's what I was—that's what I was gonna say—is that it seems to me like whenever you start off with—I've um, been trying to think of the word. I can't think of it. Whenever you start off with like treatment facilities as a way to handle your problems, it seems like that's a cycle that people get stuck in. That's true. They, uh, it definitely always goes back to like you need to go to a treatment. Facility. Yeah, exactly. Rather, rather than. Just understanding or anything like that. It seems like that's the automatic go-to. Yeah, uh, definitely. It definitely since like it had worked for my parents. My parents thought it worked in the past. You know, that was something that they would go to for sure. Um, yeah. Did you have was was your brother very open with you? Uh, not not at that time when he was like using a lot, yeah. and I didn't hear from him very often um, when he was in Mississippi. It seemed like he was doing well. Um, he actually came and visited like maybe a couple weeks before he passed away. Um, and I don't know, I think my family kind of thinks like he knew he was going to do it then. Mm. Um, yeah. And he, he was living in the facility? Uh, I think he was living outside of the facility in an apartment with other people that lived at the facility, okay. like that had lived at the facility in the past. I see. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, in the comments and everything that you you couldn't help but feel like insight in some way played a role in his decision. Yeah. What can you think of anything specifically, or just the overall experience of being being told that he was an addict and that he can't trust his own thoughts? Yeah, um, I think first of all he had stuff going on to begin with. Yeah, that I mean was, it, that was a, that was a rough start, and then yeah. And it seems like you know there were. 
and unfortunately it seems like you might not be able to tell anymore, but it seems like there were undiagnosed issues that, that yeah. no one had the chance to, to, to deal with. In hindsight, I think my family all agrees that that's pretty apparent, that there were some issues that didn't get dealt with. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely there. The inside thing happened. I think that, like, like, he wasn't coping, he wasn't figuring out how to deal with that in a way that was going to make sense in the context of reality, mm. in the context of living outside of the group. Mm. Okay. Um, so, so everybody's getting older, and everybody's getting more mature, and he's, like, still behind, you know, emotionally. Yeah. Everybody's getting further and further away from him. So, and then, like, just imagine trying to relate to people after that, after it was already difficult for you. Yeah. You know, um, so he gets out that he has struggles with that. He like, of course, he gets deep into his brain that he's an addict. You know, so he starts using and he starts using hard stuff. Well, and so you said he took about a year and then went to ECU. Yeah, he took about a year. He was in AA. Then he went to ECU. Kind of smoked weed. I think things kind of got bad for a little while. But he was presumably clean for the whole time he was in AA. Yeah, he was for sure. and then at ECU, uh, it kind of like had gotten brought up that he was thinking about hurting himself um, mm-hmm. after he got uh, caught with the, the bowl or whatever. It's that, like, I keep going back to that is, I think the most dangerous thing is having that, like, having there being shame with drug use. Because, like, like I mean, when you get caught, you have those feelings of, like, oh, maybe. I should just end it now mm-hmm. because you don't want to keep letting people down or you don't want to continue the cycle or anything. Um, I haven't experienced that personally with me having those feelings, but people in my family have had those feelings. Um, so, I mean, I think that there's just something really inherently wrong with having shame being part of the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, and, and it's also wrapped up in all this weird shit, you know, like it's like super shame. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's had this experience where he was in a rehab, you know, and like, yeah. it's like probably intensified. And like, and like, I just got to think that dealing like going back to your family who already thinks that you are an addict and then you get caught with something and like, it's got to be hard to get over the fact that you feel like you're continuously letting them down. Yeah. When in reality, that doesn't have to be the case. You yeah. Know, that, that doesn't need to be the way that drug addiction is dealt with. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't know. I, th- I think at that point, I, I just, the, the crazy thing when I think about my brother is there was another kid that lived on our same street that was also like socially not really with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like both he and my brother were very smart and they like were kind of friends with it. You know, I don't know. They didn't really hang out, but like, so, so we, this guy, we saw this guy, um, that lived on the street after, after my brother passed away, he came to the house um, just to talk to my parents and stuff. Um, and he was, like, so grown up. He was, like, so mature. He was so socially, like, with it. Yeah. You know? And it's just, like... That's what could have been. That, like, could have been my brother. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Ugh, it makes me so sad. I've been angry. And I don't really get to talk about it. I'm sorry. No, man. Don't <laughs> apologize at all. Oh man, I, I try not to not to tear up when I talk about it, you know. But it's gotta be hard, if not impossible, not to. Yeah, I don't know. There's not, you know, I don't know, and it sucks because 
I don't know. Somebody else being half like successful and growing makes me sad. It makes me think about my brother like that's just fucking weird. That's I don't know. I'm shaming myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they got their claws in deep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't no, know. I mean I, I know exactly what you mean though. You know, seeing you know, the the potential that your brother had and then you see it, you know carried out by someone who didn't have to go through the things that your brother was forced to go through. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was crazy. I mean, do you, do you think that, do you think that if drugs never played a part, do you think that your brother had the type of issues that would have led him to hurt himself still? That was tough. Uh, it, it definitely still could have happened. I think if he was able to find, like, ways of coping that, like, if he was able to, I think getting in school at a place that was good for him, or maybe, like, I think what happened to um, the guy that was on the streets, like, he went to a special school with where people, like, had, like, similar issues, and he was, mm. like, able to find friendships there and yeah. grow and, like, learn through, like, because, like, obviously that was his issue, so, mm-hmm. like, it makes sense that, that going to that place helped him. Well, and he, I mean, obviously I've never met the dude, but I, I would imagine that he probably smoked a little bit of weed in college yeah. and just never became yeah. a villain because of it. Yeah, I, I would imagine so, too. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 it sucks, you know, after someone passes away like that because you can't help but think of, like, all the things that should have happened or all the things that you should have done. And I know that, like, really hurts my parents a lot to think about. Yeah. Um, and it hurts me a lot to think about. And, you know, I'm probably lashing out at insight probably for some of that hurt. And maybe some of that's not justified, but I don't know. I, you can't help but think, like, what could have been. Yeah, I mean... Especially after, I don't know, like, just that little slice of seeing him like that. Seeing, like, thinking about what happened to my brother and seeing this guy that was exactly like him. Yeah. And then, how would you describe him whenever he came home to visit for that last time? I mean, did you feel like there was a, a deep-seated sort of change, or did you feel like things were possibly worse? It was hard to tell. I really didn't have much contact with him. I think I, like, might have eaten dinner with him and, like, you know, hung out with him for a little while, but, um, I, I couldn't, I didn't really pick up on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like, I can speak from my experience. I have all younger siblings, and the, the oldest one is six years younger than me, so I've never been, like, a close age-wise with them. And for that reason, I've always felt like I had to be, uh, like, just someone that they looked up to. So it's always kept me from sort of being real with them, you know? Yeah. Do you think that was sort of something your brother was going through? Uh, I could I could see that. I could see that playing a part in it. I, you know, he was pretty, he wasn't super, he, yeah, I guess maybe he was more open to me than other people in the family. It seemed like he was kind of open with my mom about how he felt about stuff. Yeah. Um, but we would kind of talk about stuff. I don't know. We had a weird relationship because he was kind of like not socially as mature. It was kind of a weird, like he didn't really feel like my older brother a lot mm. of times. You oh, know? Okay. Um, that dynamic was kind of skewed a little bit. Sometimes yeah. I kind of felt like I was in that role or like, I don't know. I gotcha. How much older was he? He was just, he was a year older than me. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see. And did you guys ever, um, were you in the program at the same time? Yeah, we were in the program at the same time for maybe a year. And did you guys ever talk about uh, drug use or anything like that? Uh, yeah. Yeah? Uh-huh. And was it in a way that was just, like, shaming, shameful? Or was it in, like, an exploratory sort of? It was... Honestly, I really didn't talk to him a whole lot about it. It was, like, during my first transition into the program, I was, like... I had a lot of questions. I was, like, what the fuck is this? You know? Yeah. And he was just kind of explaining the program to me. Um, I didn't really talk to him a whole lot about my 
personal life. Obviously, I wasn't sharing my stuff with him either. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, like, uh, I feel like, uh, I, I haven't talked about this on the podcast in 73 episodes, but I feel like this is, you know, as good a time as any to bring it up. Like, the reason why I feel so strongly about shame being attached to things is, uh, my dad killed himself. Really? Yeah, because he had a number of, um, addiction issues, and, I mean, that's, that's all his note said, pretty much, is that he couldn't bear with the fact that he was always letting us down. Really? And that wasn't the case at all, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's horrific that that shame is the go-to feeling for these type of things. And that it seems to me like insight, that was what they concentrated on. Yeah. I mean, making it so that you couldn't trust your own thoughts. Making it so that you thought of yourself as only an, an addict. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me like that is... They must know that that's the way to get into people's psyches. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. I don't know. You know, I, I do feel like he was, I don't know, he didn't want to hurt anyone ever. That was very obvious. Like, Mm -hmm. he was the most harmless person. Like, he, I can't, unless he was using, he would kind of, like, lash out sometimes, but that would just be because he was afraid that you were going to fuck with him, or, like, he was going to get hurt somehow. Yeah. But, like, he was a really sweet guy, and, like, I think if the thought of him doing something that was hurting you really hurt him yeah yeah you know in a way that it doesn't for other people and so to me that sort of ties into the thing that like obviously killing yourself is going to hurt everyone around you but if the shame of hurting them by using drugs outweighs that that's what you're going to do yeah and i mean it's you know obviously we're talking about different things if you know getting sent to the program over weed and then you know a drug that really has control over your life that you really can't kick yeah um, do you think that he was led into the, into those harder sort of drugs as a way to deal with the shame? Or do you think that he was looking, you know, to, like, I don't know if anyone gets into those harder drugs just for fun, you know? Yeah. Or if it's all some sort of deep-seated thing. But, like, do you think that he was just trying to have a good time, or do you think that he was using it as, like, medication? Yeah, I think, like you said, nobody uses that, like, just to have a good time. There's yeah. other stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know, like, it seems like stuff like Xanax, like, and stuff like that, and, like, maybe heroin, it's like, maybe it makes you feel good, but you're doing it just to, like, alleviate the pain of what being alive feels like, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I I can't imagine that he was just doing it to have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, it's it's really hard to guess. But do you think that he he would have made the same decision if drugs were never involved? Like, do you think that he had the type of issues that would have caused him to hurt himself if it weren't to do with shame? Uh, it's tough, you know. I can't. It's just because of all of the weird shit that happened. I'm trying to like predict this future for him. I don't know. It could have happened. It could have happened. I was kind of like, I knew something was up growing up with him. Like, I knew some. I don't know. The thought of it ending like that wasn't super something I hadn't thought about before. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I don't think it had to be that way. Yeah. You know, obviously, people have do get help for stuff like that, and he didn't get the help that was gonna, you know, hmm. change it for him. It's kind of crazy that that happened while he was at. Yeah. You know, a facility like that. Did mm-hmm. they? 
did they like reach out to the family at all? Or yeah, we actually went up to Mississippi and saw the facility and stuff like that. Um, I I don't know. It's this this is this is probably me speaking out of turn here. But so the, that facility was recommended by Insight actually. Mm. So I'm not super confident in whatever that facility was doing. Mm. You're right. It is strange that he that happened while he was at a facility. Uh, the the part that I am comforted by though is that it was dual diagnosis, so it's like he's getting treated for mental illness also. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. It did seem like it did sort of have its own culture, but you were also recommended to kind of move on afterwards. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like not not like the same sort of self feeding. No, it's thing not. Again. I'm not really sure what's up with that program, but um, yeah. Yeah. It, it was strange that it happened like that. And then just my last question, I'm sorry to have dwelt on it for so long, no, but no. was he on any sort of prescription medications that might have, like, antidepressants? Yeah, anything? I think they had actually just switched his medication, so uh, I think that might have yeah. played a factor, too. That's scary, man. The the role that antidepressants play yeah. in, in a lot of suicides, and then how many people are on antidepressants, it's really scary. Yeah, I don't um, really know a lot about that. But. Yeah. 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 Um, well, just a little bit about you. Onto some lighter stuff. <laughs> what uh, what is it that you do now? Like, what are your hobbies and everything like? That? What brought you to Wilmington from Greensboro? Um, I I maybe stayed in Greensboro for like a year after my brother passed away, and then I was like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to be away from like old inside people also. So your hometown is Greensboro. It's Greensboro is my hometown. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. So and I remember we would. <laughs> this is crazy. We would take uh trips to the beach like with the group and I was like Wilmington's the coolest place huh. it's like beautiful I mean there's beautiful people yeah. <laughs> like, downtown's awesome especially uh, like, during the summer or yeah. the fall months yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so I was like if I was if I didn't need to be in Greensboro I would want to come here um yeah so that's kind of how I ended up here and I came here and I like you know it's awesome Wilmington's a great place yeah to live. yeah I love it yeah, yeah. if I had my way I'd live here for the rest of my life yeah Wilmington's awesome I definitely I think it'd be cool to go like live in some big cities for a little while mm-hmm. just to see what that's like. But uh, I like, <laughs> yeah, it'd be cool to come back here like later on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love living by the beach. It's uh, oh, something yeah. about the atmosphere around here. Yeah. You know? Oh, everybody's so nice. Too. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. Nobody, people are not nice in Greensboro. They're oh, not, really? No, they're not. <laughs> I don't really spend much time in Greensboro. Yeah, don't. No, <laughs> <laughs> steer clear. Did you live in like a suburb or anything or like? Uh, it was, yeah, it was like a suburb. My parents, yeah. It was a pretty nice neighborhood. It's called. It's in Lake Jeanette area. I don't know. Um, yeah. But, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are you uh, doing here? And are you in? Well, uh, excuse me. Are you in school in Wilmington? Yeah, I'm at uh, UNCW. I'm a computer science major right now. I think okay. Cool. Another couple of years left or so. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Kind of trying to figure stuff out. You know. So do you team. do you go to Dead Crow much? Uh, I go there. Every now and then, I love going when I go. Yeah, I think it's like I, I'm fascinated by like the comedy community. Mm -hmm. It seems so strong. Yeah, in Wilmington, it's it's kind of weird almost. (laughs) I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What is it like at other places? Is there that kind of community? Uh, I've never uh, I've never done comedy anywhere but Wilmington. But from everything that I've gathered, it's much more like a rivalry sort of thing. Everyone here works together. We all, you know, build each other up, make sure to promote each other's shows and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas a lot of places, um, 
people will sort of try to detract from other people's shows and, and from what other people are doing to build themselves up, you know? Yeah. Or at least it's a vibe I get. It'd be cool if it's changing, you know, everywhere. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, anyone, like the professionals who come through here talk about how it's a totally different sort of community. That's cool. And I think that a lot of that just has to do with, one, like the veteran comedians who we have around here who have been doing it for close to 10 or more years. Yeah. And then also Timmy Sherrill, who opened Dead Crow, uh, who used to run Nut Street. Yeah. Um, he... Somehow he has the magical formula where he knows how to build up the new comedians. He knows how really? to keep the established ones happy. And then he also knows how to bring in the, the best working professionals from around the country. Like, wow. We get some of the biggest name comedians around here. Um, it's been kind of slow lately. Uh, we've Brian Posehn's coming in September. Um, Big J was here twice this year. We've had a ton of people. I'm going to screw it up if I try to name people. <laughs> but, That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a really healthy comedy community, I would say. I think so too. It's crazy. Like, they're so good. I was like, why aren't y'all like? Why don't haven't I seen you on YouTube before? Like, yeah. What's the deal? Is it? I mean, I'm sure it's like hard to break through it in like comedy or whatever. But. Yeah, and it's especially with uh, things like YouTube and everything. It's been like kind of oversaturated because everyone, uh, you know, everyone can do comedy. Yeah, yeah. It's just not everyone is that good at it. So <laughs> you have tons of people putting stuff out. Yeah. And so they kind of limit your chances of seeing the people who can break through. Yeah, yeah. But um. I remember for, there's this show that I think Vice does called Crash House, where they'll go and just, like, embed themselves in, like, a comedy community, and, like, the, the one, the last one they did, I think it was a bunch of comedians all living in the same house. Um, so we, like, we put together a little thing to try to get uh, Vice to consider Wilmington for the next one, and I, I don't know what came of it, but, I mean, I think that would be the perfect thing to do, is just have a documentary crew here for, like, a month, and because there's, there's shows pretty much every night of the week. There's open mics pretty much every night of the week. Uh, every weekend, we've got a couple different shows going on. Like yeah. they, they would have their hands full trying to document everything that's going on. And like you said, I mean, a good 85% of it is quality, talent, yeah, like unbelievable stuff. I'm always like blown away when I go there that there's this many really funny, creative people in Wilmington. Yeah. How did you get started? Because I asked because I was trying to figure out like how we knew each other, and I think yeah. we only knew each other through Facebook, just mutual friends. Yeah. Which I'm glad we did, because let me see your post. <laughs> That's but, crazy. Um, okay. Like, ha yeah, how did you get started at Dead Crow? How did you, um, did you hear about it from someone in particular? I, like, right when I got here, I didn't know anyone, mm -hmm. so I just walked around downtown, and I was looking at flyers and stuff, and seeing if there were shows of it, like, who was having shows, because I, I was kind of... I don't know, I'm, like, interested in, like, hanging out with people that are kind of in the creative community, yeah, yeah. sort of, so I was, like, that would be a really cool place to go, so I, I went to the Dead Crow, and I, like, um, you know, hung out with a couple people there, and I ended up uh, going to the um, the Writer's Nights, or the... Yeah, uh, yeah, the those. Bridget does? Yeah, those are so great. I, I I've still them. never been to one yet, oh, but I Oh, my God, you. you are missing... That's another community that I'm blown away by. Yeah. Yeah, the writing community. It's really awesome. Yeah, the arts community in general is, is crazy here. And it might be a holdover from, you know, all the film stuff that went on. That could be true. That might right. be why it's sort of like a hive for it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's it's really wild between visual art, uh, written art, music, comedy, oh, yeah. everything thrives here. And they're all so good at it. Yeah. You know? I yeah. don't know. It's, it's, it's always really cool to see that. It's cool to, like, have a foot in a door in a bunch of, like, communities. Like, yeah. There's a bunch of great bands here, too. You know? For sure, man. Like, and, and of all different uh, genres, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, You get, like, crazy <laughs> thrash, heavy metal. You get, like, super chill reggae. It's, yeah, yeah. It's nuts, man. Dude, the, there's, like, a, the, like, punky, like, indie punk, 
yeah. Like, scene kind yeah. of part. Have you ever gone to the Gravity uh Oh, yeah, I, shows? Go, I go there all the time. I love that place. Do you that go place to, is awesome. Have I used you gone to hang out the, the Scrap uh, Iron, too. That place is cool. I've never been to Scrap Iron. Dude, I always hear good things. It's now, but it was the oh, shit. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, shit. It was the shit. Um, have you ever gone to the Faux Show show? Gravity Records? Uh, what is? Oh no, I see those on Facebook, and I have yet to go. Yeah, that's man. Interesting. Yeah, because they do. They'll do comedy, and then they'll have a band close out the show. What? That's it's cool. Awesome. Yeah. I gotta go. Troy Coleman and Jack Nelson uh, host it. That's a cool like clash of communities. Oh, it's perfect, man. It's, yeah, it's so cool. Um, and it's in the record store, you know, so you're just yeah. surrounded by all Dude, this cool shit. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, Memory Lane. We do a show at Memory Lane that Troy hosts. Is that is that on uh, Castle? It's actually right around the corner here. Oh, it's okay, at the okay. intersection of Market um, and New Center. Okay. Pretty much. I think um, I'm check that out. Yeah, what is it's, it again? I think it's uh, once a month for that show, and then once a month for a faux show show. It's a comic book store, was it? Yeah, it's a comic book store, and then so they'll do a comedy show in there once a uh, once a month. The Troy Coleman hosts, and it'll it'll be usually be like five or six comedians. I'll get like ten minutes or so each. Uh, and these will be like the regulars of the club who are, you're going to be laughing nonstop. Yeah. And then a lot of times too, they'll be like, they'll have like nerd related material. So oh, it's like okay, a lot okay. of stuff that they can't really do at the comedy club because yes, they'll be over people's heads. But I can get into that. Yeah. You'll have like Ultron jokes and shit like that. It's <laughs> awesome, man. That is fucking sweet. What's, uh, do you have any creative outlets of your own? I don't really. I just like hanging out. <laughs> oh, I agree. That I just is. like consuming. Yeah. And that's, that's why I started going to Dead Crow too. It's just because I... I hadn't met any, like, creative sort of friends around here. And really? I, that's yeah, who I've always surrounded that. myself with. Yeah. yeah, I kind of have, too. Tell me about your experience. How did you... I, um... Well, it all it started because uh, I work primarily in a, uh, just like a warehouse. I fabricate sheet metal. Really? Yeah, so I'm just like... I, I have the ability to listen to headphones for eight hours oh, a day. Cool. So uh, I started listening to Joe Rogan's podcast because okay. he had Kid Cudi on, so it was like... I always known he did podcasts, and I always regarded podcasts like ninety five percent of the world does. Like, yeah. oh, podcast, okay, yeah. Mm. And then he had Kid Cudi on, and I had plenty of hours to kill, so I listened to it. And I fucking loved it because it was just awesome. like unedited, pure, honest conversation, and I felt like you really got to know people that way, both yeah. Cudi and Joe Rogan. So I listened to his podcast for a long time, and for a while that was the only one I listened to. Now I have like twenty different podcasts that I love. Yeah, but um. And he would have comedians on, and so I just listened to them talk about hanging out in comedy clubs and just their stories. I was like, dude, these are yes. like my friends from high school. These are who I yes. want to be hanging out with. So uh, I listened for like, you know, I was listening to the podcast for probably like a good six or eight months before I got it in my head to like actually go. And because I was living here, I moved here to be with my girlfriend. I just like took the first job I, I could get online. How old and, are you? Uh, Sorry. What's that? How old are you? 23. 23. Well, we're the same age. Cool. Nice, nice. Right. And I saw uh, on Facebook your birthday's January 18th. Yeah. That's my birthday. No fucking way! Yeah, man. No Holy way! Shit. What? So we're exactly the same age. <laughs> yeah. Something weird just happened. Yeah, it was meant <laughs> to be. Something weird just happened. It was fate. <laughs> no way. We'd have to, uh, we'd have to call up our moms and figure out which one of us got born first. <laughs> yeah. What? That um, is the wildest shit. And, and earlier, you were saying like you felt like emotionally stunted. I wouldn't say that at all. Like I would say really? you seem very mature, intelligent, uh, very articulate, and everything. Thanks. Yeah, I'm done sucking your dick for now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I, I moved here, and so for a while, like I was just hanging out with like my girlfriend's friends, and not really didn't really bother myself with like making friends of my own or anything like that. Yeah. And then I got to the point where like I just didn't enjoy 
hanging around with us, and like not that they're bad people or anything, they just like didn't do anything stimulating. Yeah. So uh, I I knew like I put two and two together that you know listen to these comedians on podcasts. So I should try to figure out if there's a comedy club. I googled it. I had no idea Dead Crow had the reputation or anything that it did. Yeah. So I found out there was a comedy club, and then around that time, I like got in my head that maybe I should try comedy. Yeah. Um, just because I mean, if I'm gonna be at a comedy club, why What's not? What's the timeline here? How long ago did you start going? I started going in March last year. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah. So okay. about a year and a half now. Wow. Okay. Cool. Um, and then I went the first night, and I didn't know what to expect at all. I didn't know if you had to be clean or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, from that time, like I, I knew that it was not at all what I was expecting. For one thing, I expected it to be like everyone like kind of huffing and puffing, like, woe is me, or, uh, like, you know, talking shit about everyone else. Yeah. And especially, like, with me going up, I thought everyone would just be like, who's this fucking new guy? He thinks he can just get on stage first night? Yeah. But it was, it was the total opposite of that. Really? Everyone was very encouraging, and, like, like the first dude who I sat down next to, like, asked me if it was my first time, and then he gave me, like, the stand-up etiquette sort of thing. Really? Shout out to Tyler Millage, yeah. That's awesome. So, I mean, it's... Uh, and lately, I've been, because I work in a warehouse, I've been working nights. So, yeah. that's been keeping me from going to the club for anything for a while now. Yeah. And it's, man, it's been horrible. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I've had, like, such a deficit in my life because of it. Um, but I was able to go to open mic this past week, and it's so much fun, man. It's yeah, just like, it is. It just, like, renews you whenever you go there. And you see, like, even when everyone isn't, like, all necessarily, like, all brotherly love, even if we're all just kind of doing our own thing, it's just, like, an atmosphere where you know so much creative thought is going on and so many people are working on so many different things and yeah. like rejuvenates you definitely being in this kind of environments with those kind of people is where i'm comfortable i was like at a, a party the other night and they were like just sitting around playing drinking games and like that was the activity and it's like i can't do that like, yeah i need to like have weird conversations exactly yeah. I mean, you know what i'm saying i need to ask somebody some strange questions i think i don't know so one thing we would do i do sometimes when i feel weird at parties is I uh, will just go up and try and touch people's hair without them knowing. <laughs> so I just went around touching people's hair. Nice. <laughs> I didn't get caught, thank God. There were some like bratty dudes that probably could have kicked my ass. Uh, you ever been caught playing the game? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I used to um, like sneak things in people's pockets too. Huh. Yeah, put things. I used to have a bunch of uh, little toy soldiers. <laughs> just pockets. for that purpose? Uh, yeah, just for... See, that's people. definitely something a comedian would do. Have you ever yeah. thought about getting up on stage? Yeah, I thought about it. I don't think I, I don't think I'm funny. <laughs> like, I well, know. I feel I feel like all comedians either think they're not funny or they think they're fucking hilarious. Yeah, that's, <laughs> neither one of those are good. I think like I think a better platform for like who I am would be more something like this. Kind yeah, of more like long form. Like I think that's what I found too. Because like I enjoy the type of comedy, the type of stand up that I do, but most yeah. other people don't. <laughs> Like, I'll, 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 get, I'll get good receptions, but just, like, uh, it's been described as boring. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. So, yeah, I think I think that, like, and honestly, this is, like, I, I was talking on a podcast I did. It might have been the last one with Jeremy Bivens. Like, I pretty much did, I started doing comedy just so I would have guests for the podcast. Because, like, really, as long as I can remember, conversation has been a hobby of mine. Like, yeah. It's been something that I just love doing. Um uh, and so whenever I started smoking weed, the two went hand in hand, because then you just start to have weirder and weirder conversations. Yeah. Um, so, like, whenever, whenever I, you know, I found out that a podcast was something you could do cheap, um, with very little, like, um, preparation or anything like that, you know, I felt it was right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. And then I felt like, you know, if I was going to do a podcast, 
I'm either going to want to have, like, experts or something on or just really goofy people. Yeah. So, fortunately, I've been able to have, like, a mix. But, I mean, yeah. if it's something you're interested in, I, I recommend starting your own podcast. Dude, maybe I will, man. I think it is, it's cool that you have a platform where you can get into, like, really niche weird stuff. Yeah. And find, like, this whole situation. <laughs> yeah. Super weird and niche. And it's, like, people that, yeah, know, nobody would be able to discover this otherwise. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah podcasts definitely allow you to get into stuff like that. I think that's awesome. Do you ever, uh, are you still listening to the, you like uh, Good Mythical Morning? No, 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 no. You, you haven't seen, okay, so this is a, it's actually a YouTube channel, um, there's these two guys from North Carolina, and they like, it's like, it's like goofy, and they're quirky and funny, um, so they started this YouTube channel, and then they started this podcast, and like, YouTubers is like this weird community, Yeah. like there's a community of YouTubers, uh, and they just like spend all this time talking to other YouTubers about this weird stuff. Huh, okay. So that's pretty fascinating to get into. Yeah, it's, I mean, and that's something that didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. This is, do you listen to, there's another podcast called Reply All. No. It's was... like about like technologies that come out and like the impact they're having on humanity. Oh, it's cool. Wild. See, typically I've been listening to like comedians podcasts and stuff like yeah. that. Um, but I, I think I might start to branch out into things more like hardcore history and, uh, and like radio cool lab and stuff. Yeah. What, what cool. was the last one you just said? Um, Reply the, All. Reply All, yeah, that one's pretty great. There's a there's a, there's a philosophy one that I think's pretty cool. What do you listen to? What do you listen to? You need to give me some. This I listen to uh, Rogan is like anytime he puts out a new one, that's pretty much what I put on first. Okay. Um, do you know Tom Segura, the comedian? Uh, I feel. Did he come to Wilmington? No, he hasn't been in Wellington yet. Tom's God, I would love to like I've, seen, I've definitely seen. He, he has two Netflix specials. I don't know where his name. He, I think, is my favorite stand-up in the, at the moment. Okay, I need some new stand-up to look at. I used to watch stand-up all the time. I yeah, man. Give, give Tom Segura a check. Um, mostly Stories and then um, Thrilled. Oh, actually, I don't think Thrilled is his Netflix special. I think that was an album. can't remember what his first Netflix special was. But anyway, he does a, uh, a podcast with his wife, who's also a comedian, oh, Christina cool. Pashitsky, called Your Mom's House. And it's just really ridiculous, silly, anti-PC, like, it's, it's kind of like ridiculousness, and, like, they'll pull web clips uh, okay, cool. and talk about it, but it's hilarious. That is wild. They pull web clips and talk about it on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That is but it, it's, like, clips that you wouldn't see anywhere else, where it's, like, someone farting for two straight minutes, <laughs> or, like, porn parody, or, or uh, porn uh, uh, bloopers, stuff like that. What? <laughs> it, it's wild shit, man. Uh, That's hilarious. And, like, I gotta be careful, like, I can't listen to that at work if anyone else is there, because I'll just bust out laughing oh, yeah. a lot of times. I'm sure. Um, lately, I've gotten into Harmontown, Dan Harmon's podcast. Uh, he, he's the dude who created Community and Rick and Morty and all oh, that stuff. Oh, cool, really? And it is really, like, I've never really listened to, like, improv podcasts, and yeah. that's sort of how I would describe this, because, like... They never really do bits, but they are, like, they're not really, they don't do interviews either. It's sort of just, like, having fun. Like, they do it in front of a crowd, so it's all for entertainment. Uh, okay, cool. So it's him and Jeff Davis, who used to be on Whose Line Is It Anyway, uh, and they'll always have really cool guests on. It's hilarious. That sounds awesome. Um, and then I'll listen to Ari Shafir's podcast, The Skeptic Tank, Duncan Trussell's podcast. These are all just comedians. Uh, okay, okay. Um, and then uh, Legion of Skanks is another one. That I listen to with uh, Big J. Are you familiar with at all with Big J? Uh-huh. He he came here twice in the past year, and he's really blown up like in the past year and a half. Um, he has like a CISO show now, um, where it's all crowd work. Cool. Um, he just put out his first like hour long special, but uh, he and then two of his comedian friends do this podcast called Legion of Skanks, and it's branded as the most of- offensive podcast on earth. Oh gosh. And they yeah they'll just say like. 
talk about really vile stuff. But a lot of times it's pretty funny. That's another one too where I'll laugh out loud. But okay. it's the kind of stuff where like, God, I should not be laughing at that. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, really, it's mainly comedian stuff. Uh, I've I've given Hardcore History a few listens, like with the, the stuff about the cons. Are you familiar with that one? Uh-uh. Um, this guy Dan Carlin, he'll do these like four or five hour long episodes, just going in depth about different historical things. Okay. So he did this like three episode arc or maybe five episode arc about the cons, like Genghis Khan and all oh, that. Oh, really? And it's just wild. Yeah, I bet that's awesome. It is. It's just it's a, it's a, an investment, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> you gotta yeah. be in it. I know how that is. But it's like. Like he was talking about, um, the cons killed so many people that like, uh, their warring factions were trying to come to them, and they're like the ground had become mar- uh, a marsh from all the deteriorating bodies, and yeah. people were dying because of all the chemicals in the air that what? the rotting bodies were putting out. That's <laughs> crazy shit. That's insane. <laughs> uh, do you have any others that you listen to regularly? Uh, I'm listening to this one called Philosophize. This it's like a philosophy podcast. Okay. It's pretty fantastic. See, most of the time, um, I get into the podcast for the hosts rather than, like, their, um, their, like, um, theme. So yeah. maybe that's something, actually, I should start looking oh, more yeah. towards the themes. Definitely. And, uh, This American Life's always here. Okay, yeah. I've never listened to that one, but obviously that's, like, the, the podcast yeah, everyone knows. That's, like, the podcast. I've also never listened to Serial. You ever listen to Serial? Uh, I, my, I listened to it with my family a couple, couple of times, and it seemed awesome, but I, I haven't listened to it since. Yeah? Yeah. I need to try that one, too. Yeah, that one's pretty sweet. Um, do you have any thoughts for like what, what your podcast would entail? Yeah. Like mine, I just, well, actually when I first started, it's called good times, bad times. Cause when I first started, I like, I asked everyone to come in, like we would have a theme, like vacation or something. We would tell our best and worst stories oh, okay, and that's cool. for like 50 episodes. Now I haven't done that. Yes. <laughs> Cause like for whatever reason, a lot of people had a hard time understanding what I meant, like in the Facebook message or whatever. Really? And they would show <laughs> so up with something. Miscommunication. That's what. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so they would show up with something totally different. So I just kind of <laughs> let that fall it. by the wayside. So now I just do a general, you know. Conversation podcast. It's a, a rip-off of Joe Rogan. <laughs> That's cool, though. That's awesome. I love him. I mean, I've, I've had some really great conversations um, and gotten to know a lot of people that I feel like I wouldn't have gotten to know otherwise. Yeah. I think that would be the coolest part, getting to interview people and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 That's a lot of fun. I, I always have fun talking to strangers. Sometimes I think I freak people out because I usually ask a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah. One time I was at a bar and this guy was reading a book and I was like, wait a minute. It's like 10 o'clock and you're here reading a book. What's going on? <laughs> and... Like, I wouldn't let up because I was like, you're strange and I want to know about it. And he, like, asked me if I was a reporter. <laughs> and, oh, like, okay. and then I got insecure and kind of walked away. <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing uh, computer... Computer what? science. Computer science. Okay, you never thought about pursuing anything creative? Uh, I used to play, like, I used to play saxophone when nice. I was a kid. But, like, I was, I was, like, good. I was, like, taking lessons and I, like, um, you know, I'd make, like, a county band and, like, a district band. And, mm. like, that's kind of, like, my, my thing. And then I got in the group and I kind of went to the wayside, mm. you know. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Do they do they encourage like uh, creative type stuff or do they? They don't discourage creative type stuff. They kind of they discourage uh, hanging out with people outside of the group. So mm. obviously. You'd have to form a group band. Yeah. <laughs> Which my brother did, and you know it was fun for him. He played bass, um, so that was he did that. I I, I kind of like was getting less interested in saxophone anyway. It's sort of like I don't know. I think it was, it was, I thought it was, like, cool that I was able to do something, like, like, make good sounds, you yeah, know, make a yeah. creative thing, but I really, the, like, 
I was really only pushed in like the technical components of mm. like playing an instrument and stuff, you know? Okay. And like not quite so much in like nobody was like, Hey man, like make a song, like that would be fun. Like write something down or like, hey, like let's record something together or like this makes a cool noise. Like, okay. I wasn't really encouraged to explore in that way. I was kind of encouraged to like get technically better. And memorize sheet music. And memorize so like memorize like scales and sheet music okay, and yeah. specific patterns. And I think if I was uh, if I had a teacher that like kind of pushed me in a different uh, this is not taking any other shit. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like I think if I if I would have kind of pushed myself in a different direction I would have stuck with it. Mm -hmm. that's, have you ever thought about getting back in a sense? Yeah, I just grabbed it from my parents' house and brought it over here. So nice. I might, I might tear it up a little bit, shred on my shred on my ass. <laughs> I think it's gonna piss my roommates off. <laughs> yeah, saxophone that. isn't really something you can practice yeah, quietly, I, I imagine. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, man, those uh I, I played guitar for a little bit, and pretty much anything other than that is super intimidating for me just because, like, you know, you give it a little blast of air, and it's a totally, oh, at least yeah. for me, it was a totally uh, abrasive noise. Like, for a sure. violin. Like, yeah. I, I picked up a violin once and expected it to be this majestic, beautiful <laughs> thing, and I had no clue what I was doing, so it was just yeah. a shrill shrieking. Oh, uh, yeah. I know. And it's weird, too, like, being an older person trying to figure something like that out, because, you know, a lot of it... After a certain point, it's like, it's muscle memory. Yeah. Like you're forming these associations that you can't after a while. I think that's why there's so many, like, child prodigies, you know? Yeah. Because they can get a grasp on it in a way like an adult could never. For sure, yeah. You know? So, so have you, you haven't even pulled the sax out yet? I have not. Okay, I have yeah, not. I was going to ask if you still remember, like, any, any of those things, like, uh... Whenever I pull out a guitar, no matter how long it's been, I can always do like the little opening riff to a Black Dog. That's one of the things that I focused on learning like, nice. super yeah, hard. Yeah. Oh, there's definitely a few songs that's like I know that song. Like, awesome. Play that. That's yeah, cool. It's weird. It's like stuck in your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you think like uh, you think you might try to put together a band or anything like that or record anything? I have a bunch of friends that are in bands and stuff, so maybe I'll fuck around with them sometime. Yeah, yeah. 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 Maybe uh, maybe a ska band around here or something. <laughs> that would be awesome. There's a ska band around. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> they're terrible <laughs> we won't name names yeah, we will. I'm trying to think of other popular music where saxophones are uh, I think it would be, I would, I would rather like fuck around with like a synthesizer and just be like making weird things on my computer yeah 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 I always thought like found sounds were pretty cool yeah so you've never made like electronic music or anything no I haven't it's, and today it's getting kind of like that's kind of a lame thing to do yeah you know, yeah, yeah, make yeah electronic music but like I think it would be cool to like I don't know I watched some movie, just like find little sounds, like there are these little thin metal strips that I would, that were on the road that I would ride my bike past, and they made the best, like little jingly, like shimmery, like, oh my god, it was such a great noise, I think huh. it'd be cool to like try and capture those sounds. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Yeah. That would be cool, man. And then also, like, some people, like, have you ever seen like those sound libraries that uh, audio engineers and stuff will have? No. That's some people sell those things for like ten thousand dollars. Yeah, that's awesome. You could just compile a bunch of random sounds and yes, sell them to someone. That would be awesome. And then maybe maybe great. your degree would come into use that so you could encode them and everything like that. What? Oh, shit. That's sick. <laughs> All right, you got me started. Um. <laughs> yeah, I've never been like I said. I've I've played guitar like since I was like thirteen, but I've never been especially skilled at it. But for a while. Um, I actually rapped for a couple of years. Yeah. What? Because I, I just went through this, like, I've always done creative stuff, and for a while, um, uh, I went to NC State for two years for uh, political science, and I got super burnt out. I also smoked way too much weed, didn't care enough about classes. Yeah. So, um, in, like, my dark period, I was uh, trying to do something creative because I didn't really have anything else going on. Yeah. 
And for whatever reason, I chose rapping. I guess because I didn't know there was a comedy club in Raleigh. That's awesome. <laughs> and there was something I could do by myself and put out by myself and everything. That's awesome. My sister actually has been writing raps recently. She's nice. Like, Good for her. She's like 18. She's, she's a cute little white girl. She's, <laughs> yeah. She's like going to Stanford though. She's super smart. Oh, shit. Yeah, she's wow. super smart. She Gold, might be the first rapper Stanford's produced. <laughs> yes. Is that something you like that she's going to like put, she's going to put them on wax or is she just doing it for fun? I have no idea. I think she's doing it because it's cathartic. Um, I'm not really sure. You think it helps her with her feelings. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, see, that was like, that's what it started as with me because like I was always... Like writing poetry, but it was it was never like very abstract. It would always be like with a theme or like about a certain subject. And so I figured like the only way people are gonna read poetry these days is if, if they hear it over a beat. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's how I look at it though. first. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. Poetry's cool. Though. You did so. Like, here's the thing that like I I can't relate to with other creative people is like other creative people. It seems like they can't control it. Like they have to be creating things. Mm-hmm. I am very content sitting on my ass yeah. <laughs> like I'll watch other people make that cool thing okay. and then I'll decide whether it was good or not oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, having not made anything I'm know? like uh, I guess I'd be somewhere in the middle because like a lot of times I am just sitting on my ass but I always yeah. feel guilty for it like I always feel okay. like I should be like I have like eight different things like that I'm in the middle of right now Yeah. so like if I am sitting on my ass, even if I'm totally content doing that, there's always a little thing in the back of my head. The shame, I guess, is what yeah, it is. Yeah. Where it's like, you should be fucking finishing up that book you started two years ago or something like that. <laughs> I know that feel. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's... I think that that's... I think that having those outlets is what keeps people sane who do have that sort of mindset where you have to be putting something out or whatever it is. Yeah. So I think that a lot of times, like, people who never get the, the chance to, to put anything out... Or, um, or like who never even feel the worth and just like writing on their, on their notebook for the hell of it. Yeah. Those are the ones who, who end up, you know, in their forties hating everything about their lives. Yeah. So I like, I always, even if it's embarrassing or even if it's whatever, I've always wanted to do things rather than having not done them. Yeah, no, I respect that. And you, you make it a point to like get it out there and share it with other people. Yeah, whenever it's whenever it's, like, it's finished. I was gonna say whenever it's at a point that I'm happy with, but that wasn't the case with my raps. It was just whenever it was finished, I put it out there. Wow. Like I, I always tell people, I'm uh, I'm happy with like the lyrical content. Yeah. Because like, I you know I still am pretty proud of some of the stuff that I wrote that yeah. I wrote. But the my performance and especially the quality with recording, I'm not at all proud of. Yeah. So like I play around with the idea of like maybe someday I'll find some new beats and go and actually put these songs down like in a professional sort of setting. Oh, nice. <laughs> but who knows? That'd be fun. Yeah. That's awesome. That's cool that you put it out there. That's something that would be really difficult for me. I think like I'm a perfectionist, you know. Yeah. So I hate when people say that, but like I just get, it's so scared that it's not gonna be good that I won't do it. Okay, yeah, I see. it's like pretty backwards. See, that's a curse I've never had. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like, so I just don't do anything. Else. <laughs> hmm. Maybe you never put out anything? Like, do you, like, have you ever kept a journal or anything like that? Yeah, I had a journal for a little while, and then, like, I don't know. I showed it to one of my friends, and then I kind of got scared, and I was like, I'm going to stop. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Was it, like, evidence in your future crimes or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just, like... It was things that I thought were funny that I think were just dumb. Like uh, <laughs> that's what stand-up is—just find those journals and take it out on stage. Yeah, maybe. Because I mean, it's did. it's really weird, and this is a lot of people I've talked to have this experience where like a lot of the things you put a lot of stock in that you think that people are gonna think are funny 
don't get that big of a reception. And a yeah. lot of things that you think are just kind of throwaway, like, weird, kitschy things are what connects with people. Really? Wow. Because it'll be the things that, like, 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 the smell of your towel or something that you think you're the only person who thinks it's weird, but then, like, everyone else in the audience knows exactly what you mean by the used what? towel smell. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean... Couldn't hurt, at least, to go yeah. up on stage. It seems to me like you have the sensibilities and uh, to at least, you know, to be be part of the group. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you guys seem like an interesting group. I, you should introduce me to, like, comedians. It's kind of intimidating. You, just, know? you guys just all come around together. Together. Oh, I know what you mean. I yeah, definitely know what yeah, you mean yeah. with that, yeah. I'm, like, intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> they all well, seem like good people. Though. Whenever, uh, if you ever come, Thursdays, or even when I had full availability to go, Thursdays were usually the only night that I would end up, like, doing an open mic. Mm-hmm. But, um, so just come around on Thursdays, and yeah, if I'm there, I'll definitely come sit next to me, and we'll talk to Hell you. yeah, I'm down. Yeah, man, I mean, it's it's a very uh, open environment, and, like, I know what you mean, that, like, it, it seems very uh, intimidating, but... Yeah. <laughs> it's like a spider, like, everyone there is more afraid of you than you are of them. I kind of get that vibe, <laughs> too. I can tell, I can see that a little Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. it's... It's the way it is with anyone who who is willing to get up on stage for validation. Is <laughs> where we're very true. wary about you know about reaching out to new people. Yeah, but very opening. That's weird because like that's it seems since I've been in Wilmington that's pretty consistent throughout all creative communities. Yeah, is yeah. that there's sort of well, actually except for one except for like some some of my friends' bands they were pretty like come hang out with us. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I feel like bands might lend themselves a little bit more to that, but like the writing community is the same way. But it's like kind of like this weird, like anxious sort of standoffish. Like, yeah. Who are you? But like you know. Yo, I definitely know, and I think that like there's a little bit of like built-in social anxiety in those places because like if you're someone who you're is totally right. ingrained and in, like in the thing, then you feel like the new person is going to be judging you um, as like a representative of that place. And then if you're the new person, you feel like everyone there is already at this certain point that it's too late for you to reach. Yeah, you're totally right. I never thought about the context of what it's like being there. Because it's a performance, you know, the thing about what other people think about them. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's probably pervasive. Yeah. And I mean, I still do this, and I don't know, I may be speaking out of turn, but I would say, like, don't put anyone on a pedestal, you know? Yeah. Like, we're all, all of us are still trying to figure out (laughs) what we're doing and what we're going to do and everything like that. That's fair. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just come around. I mean, oh, yeah. you'll always be welcome. Everyone's be welcome there. there. But, I mean, like I said, I, I encourage you to give it a shot. If it's something that you think, you know, yeah. something you've ever thought about yeah. trying, Dead Crow is definitely the place to give it a shot. I thought about trying it. It's, I get I get afraid of talking in front of people to this. Like, yeah. Like, I don't know. It's like it's like a physical reaction, too. It's like more hmm. than, I don't know. I might try it, but I feel like I'd have to get drunk, and then if I get drunk, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> See, I'm already like psyching myself. Out. Yeah. Just... Well, I mean, I would say, I would say, just get together a few things you might want to talk about, and then go one night. And if you if you get the feeling, yeah, because like, the I mean, you'll sign up, and then you can just sign yourself up for a somewhat late spot. So if you change your mind, no one's gonna mind. Uh, okay. Cool. Even even if you're early and then you get psyched out, you can just tell the host to take you off the list. Okay. Do. I could do that. It's kind of, I don't know. Yeah, I could definitely try it sometime. I, I should just do it and stop being a bitch about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if it's something that you've ever put thought towards, I would say try it. Yeah, I'll have to run it by you first. I'll, I'll <laughs> look at my jokes. <laughs> okay. But see, then I might... See, comedy's so subjective. That's, that's true. That's, yeah. what, that's what I think is cool about it, because, like, there's always going to be an audience for you somewhere. 
Because like I said, like, I'm really happy with the stuff that I talk about on stage. So, like, I know that if I keep doing it long enough, there will be people who it appeals to. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the point of all this is, I, I say give it a shot. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm going to have to make it happen. Cool, man. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, hopefully I'll see you around the club at some time. Do you go there, like, regularly at all? Um, it hasn't been as frequently recently, um, but I'm going to go in the near future, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try to be going every Thursday from here on out as long as I can get work off. Um, so hopefully I'll see you around there then. Right. And like I said, just come up, sit down in the bar. Sweet. Surely people will surround us, yeah? All right, I'm down. Cool, man, cool. Um, is there anything else you wanted to get out on this? Okay, had a system overload, but I think it was uh, well-placed. <laughs> wow, two and a half hours almost. That's a, that's Whoa. a good bit right there. That flew by, man. Uh, I can't thank you enough for, for being you know open to all this. Yeah. Uh, I just reached out to you out of the blue, and I didn't I didn't know what to expect. But uh, yeah. you know, you've I think that you've represented your uh, your viewpoint really well. Um, like I said, I never had met you, so I didn't know what to expect at all. But as I said earlier, I think you're uh, very well put together. Uh, you seem really mature, really articulate. So I'm happy you were willing to do this. This has been awesome. Thank you for having me on this. This is probably like the perfect platform to talk about it. You know, I'm I'm really like, happy, man. Um, uh, I don't want to sound like self-aggrandizing, but I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Yeah, no, definitely. I'll let you know about progress that we're making yeah. in the future or anything else that we've got going on. I mean, and if, I don't know if you're interested in getting other people like on here. For right? sure, man. I mean, like like I said, anytime, if you get up with some more people who are willing to talk about it, I'd love to have you on as a group or individually. Yeah. Um, and then as things progress, you know, if, if things start happening, I'd love to have you back on and talk about the progress. Yeah, definitely. Or just... In general, for another conversation, yeah, especially if you start sure. doing stand up. We'll hey, that. there we go. I can talk about that. Um, so, what are um, some steps that people can take? I know you've been talking about like uh, Better Business Bureau reporting. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out the best way to take care of this place. Uh, the the things that I think people are immediately looking at are like you can look at like Facebook reviews, um, and you could go on there and talk about it. Because they're, they're all pretty positive, and they're all from people that just joined the program. Mm -hmm. So, of course, they're, like, very excited that their yeah. kid's off drugs, and their kid's been sober for 30 days, and their kid's talking to them again. Um, but there's not a lot of, you know, comments from people that have were there, like, three or four years ago yeah. that have, like, kind of seen the effects afterwards. So I think going on there, like, the Facebook review thing, um, Yahoo reviews, Yelp reviews, Better Business Bureau... There's, uh, God, I wish I had it on me. I was looking at somebody else's post, and they had a way that it was like a government agency that you can contact about that. I'm going to find a way to um, probably slap something on the original Facebook post. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'll, I'll include links to that to those things okay, perfect. as well. Oh, yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah, man. Um, and then, I mean, you were saying, like, you know, trying to think of legal, of legalities, you know, that they might have uh, broken to get them shut down. But yeah. even if not that, I mean, even if, people just stop going, you know? People, yeah. It's like voting with your wallet. You know, yeah. People will stop getting their $8,000. That's what, like, the, you know, the review sites that would be for. It's hard to, I don't know, I was talking to somebody, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, you know? I'm just, a lot of people reached out to me and, like, talked about different ways to go about it, so I'm yeah. sure it's going to get more cohesive as time goes on. Yeah. But, and then, um, I think it's safe to say that if anyone is listening to this who's had a similar experience or an actual inside experience, they can message you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Please, that would be awesome. And, I mean, that seems like it might... I'm sure you're already doing this, but it seems like that might be the way to go is compile a bunch of different people's experiences, yeah. you know, for... Yeah. I mean, there's got to be some sort of investigative, investigative process yeah. or something like that. Yeah, definitely.
For sure. Cool, man. Well, thanks a lot again. Um, keep me updated with everything. I'd love to have you back on anytime. Sweet. And uh, hopefully I'll see you around Dead Crow or something like that. Yeah, awesome. I'm excited. Yeah, man, me too. Well, thank you very much, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Now that the episode is over, go to goodjujuherbal.com and check out the selection of hygiene products there and get yourself smelling nice and feeling clean. Yes, I appreciate it. Till next time.